Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. All right, so welcome to our late start. Um, this is going to be an interesting day. Uh, I've got uh, Bianca Von Krieg, who I think is on the line right now. Um, I'll find out in just a second. Uh, it's, it's a different number than I than I have here. And so, well, I'll try it. If it's, if it's somebody else, then we'll find out very quickly. Anyway, so I've got Bianca. I've got uh, Tara D. who's going to join us in the 11 o'clock hour central time for our, uh, our uh, pup date our pet report and uh, our special guest who's new to the show is Brianna Latipo and she's an author and, you know, has an incredible story uh, like a lot of us do of tumultuous childhoods and recovery and healing. And it should be really interesting to, uh, to have her on, but let's, let's get the call going here. Let's uh, make sure I have my, my guest and not to somebody else. Bianca, is that you? We got you live now. Yes, it is. Greg. Hi. Cool. Welcome back. Good to have you back on the show. Good to be here. All right. So for folks that don't know, uh, this is our, our progressive, you know, I say progressive report from the left coast. We'll think of a good title because I'd love to have you on regularly. But uh, if we can sort of reintroduce you, give yourself uh, or give a little bit of background and then let's delve into the issues, you know, things that a lot of shows don't talk because I'm, I'm way beyond conservative. I'm way over with the founders. Uh, and uh, Bianca is progressive. And yet there's a lot of things that we talk about that we agree on or see the other side in, in ways that are very different uh, than people expect, which is why I like having her on. Um, so let's, uh, let's get you reintroduced and then uh, let's dive into the issues. Well, I'm a transgender woman, actress, and I'm, lately I ran against Nancy Pelosi. And I'm going to do it again. How'd that go? How, how, how far did you get when you ran against her? What, uh, how'd that work? <laughs> uh, not, not as quite as far as I like, but I do consider it a success. I mean, we did take her down. It's yeah. widely considered in both parties that, that it was our efforts that did that. I mean, um, prior to, um, to me getting in the race, she was spending a fraction of what she normally does which is like 2 or $3 million. She had to kick her fundraising up 600% to compete with me. And we spent well, like that's a victory grand. right there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, of all the people to take on, the Speaker of the House, who has worldwide, you know, name and face recognition, he didn't pick an easy target. He didn't find a little, little district somewhere in California that nobody's ever heard of. You went right for the top. We, we go big yeah. out here, Greg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and for those that don't we know, go I spent – uh, yeah, exactly. I spent 30 years out in the Bay Area, out in San Francisco. So I know the area well. I know, I, I think I was even a tour guide. We went, we went by Nancy Pelosi's house a few times. It's up in Pacific. It's, it's really beautiful up there. And it's such a contrast from the Tenderloin, which I think is also in her district still, isn't it? you got these two unbelievable contrasts. Oh, uh, yeah. Just about most of San Francisco is in her district. There was right. some uh, redistricting done last year which happened right <laughs> during the election. Yeah. And she still hasn't changed her district. She's, um, her district is now 11. On the answer machine, it still says 12. I mean, the staff is unbelievable there. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, they lost some of the working class people in um, uh-huh. the Hunter's View of Bay, um, Bay Point area. But right. picked up, um, uh, what is it, uh, San Francisco State, you know, on the western low end. Oh, gee, there's a friendly audience. 
<laughs> well, um, yeah. that's where they had that's where they had Riley Gaines, you know, and she got attacked and was I guess you know kidnapped for about three hours there. So uh, San Francisco State, I know it well. <laughs> I don't say I can't say I spent mm-hmm. much time there, but uh, it's a big campus. Actually, my claim to fame for education was going uh, to Ohlone College in Fremont, and that you once have an underrated mm. school, and that's in radio broadcasting. Uh, and so all the production stuff that I do here, in fact, I forgot to give you your, your, your welcoming round of applause. Let's do that. <laughs> but I have all these buttons and music, and, and I learned it all at Ohlone College. It's, it, I should, I should play, I'm going to get my ear check and play it sometime. Because here, I was 56 when I went there, right? And I was 57 when I started in radio. I'm 63 now. And it was hysterical mm-hmm. to have you know, my mature, deep voice you know, coming out of this college radio. And of course, they had the speakers going out right to the campus. So everybody heard you know, K-O-M-E, uh, K-O-H-M, excuse me. Is it Kiwi? Oh, I can't believe I forgot my call letters. Anyway, but you hear this, this deep voice, you hear this like kids, right? And now we've got Kiwi, you know, Kiwi Radio, you know, Ohlone College, Fremont, California. And now we have 21 pilots, you know, this is Greg, your DJ. I mean, I was a college DJ. It was hysterical. But um, San Francisco State. Well, you do have a nice radio voice. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, this is why God didn't make me an Olympic pole vaulter. So, you know, kind of, you got to take care. We could, we take our gifts and use them appropriately. I'd rather have. I guess the radio we could say that one about a lot of people. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Just don't think of all things you don't have to do because you're not good at it. Okay, I don't have to be uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like uh, uh, those guys to go up the power lines. Okay, I don't. I'm not good at that. I don't have to do that. Uh, in fact, I actually met. This is kind of interesting. The um, the guys mm-hmm. that did uh, that do the construction and the maintenance work on the Golden Gate Bridge. And I talked, and they're good. They're about to go up the oh, elevator. Yeah. So me, I'm I'm like walking. I'm walking across the bridge. One of the things I did many times. And it's saw these two guys. You know me. I have to talk to everybody. So it's like uh, these mm-hmm. these are big guys, really big, strong guys in coveralls, overalls, because it's cold on the bridge. They're about to go up the elevator to the top of the tower. Oh yeah. Said, you guys. Oh yeah. Right. I said, I said can I go? I said, no. Oh okay. Those winds yeah. are dangerous. You know. I, they are. And the bridge has to be painted 24 hours a day, so they just. Mm-hmm. Um, start at one end, go to the other, and then just go back all over again. Yeah, but you know what, though? Here's, here's one of the weird things. When they uh, uh, took out the lead paint and they started painting it with non-lead paint, paint they saved, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many thousands of tons of weight on the bridge that's not there anymore because it's not lead paint. A little tidbit for it. It's oh, tour guide stuff. Know. Anyway, but the point is, so the guys, yeah. I asked them, I said, do you, do you ever get afraid of heights? And they said, well, we never think about it. So there are people that, that, that that's a gift. They you probably know, will they now, thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't think so. They still have their job. They still went up the elevator. But because uh, I'm sure everybody asked them that question, right? Why well, shouldn't I be afraid of heights? Oh wait, it's a long way down. <laughs> oh yeah, geez. Why did I take this job anyway? Yeah. Anyway, so I want to talk to this. We Bianca and I talked about a bunch of issues off the air, so I don't know how many we'll get to, but it's just it's just fun to uh, go over all this. But I like to talk about things that no one else. I don't want to just talk about news. Everybody's talking about news. But there's a, there's something really yeah. interesting that I think is happening. I want to get on to Trump and uh, Robert Kennedy um, because that's a particular fascination yeah. for me as the only two non deep state candidates. And I was looking. I was thinking about this before you came on. Um, you know, you've got liberals mm-hmm. like. John, uh, Robert Kennedy's a liberal, okay, liberal Democrat, classic liberal yeah. Democrat. Uh, I would be considered an anti-federalist. You know, you know when the, the federalists were writing all the, all the papers about how wonderful the Constitution was, and we've got a bunch of guys who say, oh, it's going to give them too much power. It's going to screw things up. They, they shouldn't be borrowing money and all that stuff. I, that would be me. And I would have been one of those anonymous guys mm-hmm. back then as an anti-federalist. So I'm not a conservative. Um, but conservatives, you know, love this country. Liberals love this country. Progressives, I think like Bernie Sanders. You know, I don't agree with the thing Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. says, but he's honest. He's sincere. He believes in what he's saying. Nobody's, and he has he's, the, 
Nobody's got his hand in his pocket, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But he's making money. He's a good capitalist, too, so there's a little bit of hypocrisy in there. But that's okay. Everybody's entitled uh, to a bit. He's worth like a million, million two tops. That's nothing, yeah. I mean, that's the. But well, yeah. what I see that's here's a drop what I want to bucket for Pelosi. <laughs> Please, yeah. That, I told you about my senior telegram just, story with Nancy Pelosi. Did I ever tell you that one? I, I don't believe so. Okay, <laughs> way back in my impetuous youth, when Nancy Pelosi was first elected to Congress, um, her victory party was at the uh, uh, the old uh, the the North Beach restaurant. Uh, what's that? What's that classic one there? I think it's called the North Beach restaurant. The big Italian There's one. There's a bunch the of classic ones. Yeah, it's when everybody sits on the uh, outside. On the it's corner, right oh yeah, I think I know yeah, that, that one. one. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so I, and... it was 87, I was 27, and, and I was working, I, went, I was trying to get into, into flying schools and trying to get my airline career going, which never actually worked out. But uh, I'm working seeing telegrams, and they said, well, are you going to go sing for a, a woman <laughs> who just got elected to Congress? I'm like, okay, great. So I ended up sitting in her lap <laughs> doing the show, right? And of course, the cameras are clicking. Oh, right gosh. Somewhere out there. If you ever meet anybody that says, hey, does anybody have a picture of the singing telegram, the guy that sat in Nancy Pelosi's lap when she first was elected? That's me. Now I want a picture of it. <laughs> so that's my claim. I'll have, to have, I'll have to get my team that will look that one up. Because... Oh, it's there. Someone was there. <laughs> You know, and either they have it or the kids oh, yeah. have it. Now, it's probably a family heirloom. And I can't believe this guy said in Nancy. I, hope. I don't know who she was, <laughs> but I'll never forget the look on her face. Those big brown eyes were flashing like crazy, right? She's looking in absolute horror. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is great. This is a great show. Everybody else is loving it. Anyway, what I wanted to get to, <laughs> since this is why I have you on, because we do have fun. What I want to talk about uh, is... I don't think I can unsee that now. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's amazing how visual radio gets. For those that don't know, we really it's, do. It's more, it's more her than you in that that thing. And I just uh, <laughs> okay. I, I can't we even eat Italian her. food anymore. That's how bad she is. Like, oh no, well don't do that. But I don't see really. Yeah. I don't think of her as Italian. She doesn't strike me as very Italian. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I know she's not. I mean, she doesn't like embla- embrace that at all. But uh, it's still, it just. I mean, did she go to mass? Yeah, I don't she, know. Uh, did she go to the blessed and efficient? No, she, she we're, any... we're actually in the same church. Um, really? Supposedly, and I, I've maybe which seen one or is her that daughter there a couple issue? times. Or... Which church? Can what? you tell me or is that it? Can you tell me which church or is that a security issue? I, I don't want to make it a point of contention, you know. Okay, that's fine. No, that's why I asked. Archbishop kind of like, right where I like him right now. And, okay. Oh, I know um, the church. Hating her. <laughs> I know exactly which one. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I mean it's the Catholic Church. Where, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm in, in. I'm talking about the parish, you know. And okay. um, but yeah, that was one of my my better triumphs is getting the Archbishop to <laughs> to endorse you or what? Well, uh, I I don't think he'll do that anytime soon. He's kind of got a okay. thing for transgender people, but um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean at least I got him to hate her, and that was a pretty big score. <laughs> Oh, wow. wow. In, in our book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, you know, the, it does kind of show that um, people do like outsiders in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, their, in their leadership. We've seen this again, time and time again with Reagan, with Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hope we'll see it with uh, Robert Kennedy, too, who's, who's led a pretty distinguished um, life in, in, in liberal circles mm-hmm. so far. And he hasn't, because, you know, I think that's one thing that Trump and I have in common is that we don't give a shit what happens to us afterwards. 
Um, most politicians are always kind of playing a bunch of angles. That's why they never really go like balls out, as we say. They're always like, you know, well, you know, maybe I lose the election. Fine. I'll go get a lobbying job and make a bunch of money or something. They've always, or I'll get appointed to this or that. Mm -hmm. That's what they're, they're, they're angling for. Trump doesn't care. Trump's like, (laughs) I, you know, I see the system as being wrong and I'm going to try and correct it as best as I see fit. Unfortunately, he doesn't have all the facts in that area, but he's at least he's trying. And um, and you know Robert Kennedy's going to run because you know Joe Biden's brain has turned to mush, and he has to be replaced. It should have happened a long time ago. Well, here's the and, thing, though, and I, I was thinking of this this morning that uh, this is basically Obama's third term. He's running the country from behind the scenes with Susan Rice and, and maybe Michelle and Hillary. I'm not sure. You probably know better than I do. Um, but the problem, the, the problem is, I, that I Obama certainly wish that was true. I loved Obama, but um, that's that's, okay. that's not what's happening. I don't believe. He, well, then who's um, then who's pulling the strings then? See, this is, it's his staff. Been, it's, it's it's all his staff. staff? It's, the inter, it's kind of yeah. It's like the OEOB. Um, what's that? That's what's who's OEOB? running out, the West Wing, the old executive office building. It's that big building, that big kind okay, of like gothic like building next to the White House, and it houses. Yeah. Yep. Part there's 1,100 people who work um, in the on, on the president's staff in the White House okay. and on in the OAOB and it's those people who are running the show um, and some of them are pretty smart. Um, that's why you're, uh, we've had our our advances in in cold fusion, which is which is going to you know destroy the Middle East in about 10 years um, okay. and save the rest of the world. But, uh, you know, nobody elected them to run to be president. And they have a duty to stand up and say, you know, I'm sorry, but this, you know, as much as I like this man, he's, he's gone. He's, he's senile. And it, it gives me no pleasure to say that. But, you know, all you have to do is just look at tapes of him, you know, as vice president and look at him now. And he, he's like a, a, it's a ghost of his former self. How does it benefit them? uh, Looks different. What? How does it benefit these people? Because as I and this is why it's really great to have you on, um, because as an insight I could get from conservatives, because we all think it's Obama, you know, behind the scenes. But Mm -hmm. if it's the, but most of the people that are there are Obama's old staff. So are they actually? Some of them are Bernies too. A lot of them are Bernies. um, Do they get along? Because you know, the Obama and the Bernie uh, people. Yeah, I mean, uh, Obama was more is considerably more moderate than um, Sanders was is, Um, but he's certainly left compared to people like Pelosi, who is basically a dino. Um, Is that an acronym? But uh, yeah, a lot of the Bernie staff left. Yeah. Okay. Democrat in name only. They also use oh, so, the term rhino. As opposed to, to a rhino. Okay, gotcha. So there's yeah. a Democratic. So it's, Democratic it's basically these moderate deep state candidates. And if, and folks, if you're listening at home, um, the, it's real easy to find a deep state candidate because he's taken money from both sides of the spectrum. Right. You can go on the FEC database. They have, they have a really – type in the person's name, uh, the politician's name, and you can see exactly who's giving them money. And um, if they're getting money from both sides of people, they're deep state. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Really well, that's really what, 
that's where I started to lead to. So FEC, that's Federal Elections Commission for our, our new folks. And we have a lot yeah. of international listeners, too, so I want to make sure that they uh, get this as well. Apparently, something's happened with Apple Podcasts. We've just taken off on Apple. Don't know why. Can't explain mm-hmm. it, but uh, we're, we're gaining a whole bunch there, so that's really good news. Um, what, what I was sort of starting with a little bit ago, and this is what I want you – but we're sort of into the, into the topic now. But there's a real split in this country. There's, there's, everybody says, you know, it's not conservatives and uh, liberals. It's not Republicans and Democrats. The real split in this country is the deep state. The have and the have not. Everybody, no, maybe not. Let me, let me do mine and then let's see what you think. Um, but it's okay. really the deep state and everybody else. And the way I define the difference between deep state and everybody else, the deep state, like you said, they're taking money from both sides. They don't give a damn about this country. They don't care that we have $32 no. trillion dollars in debt. They don't care that they're, they're waging a fake war in, in Ukraine and killing 300,000 people as long as they make money. The neocons, doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican. A billion dollars a week. That's ridiculous. That's insane. We, what what could we do with a week? We could, uh, yeah. I mean, we could do a voucher health choice plan for for that, and we could do a bunch yep. of things with that money. Yeah, exactly. The mm-hmm. the the seven trillion that went to Afghanistan for no reason, and then you know Brandon yeah. surrenders. You know, I mean, this, I mean, I go back to Iraq, and I'll I'll take even uh, Bosnia under Clinton and uh, the the Reagan you know military you know. Why. You know, who's the last country that's the, the, the country's the most likely and remember, to attack remember us? the last yeah. guy to stand up for the Trump of the 90s? Remember that guy, Ross Perot? I was just thinking about him the other oh, day. Oh, yeah. I remember Ross Perot. He, yeah. He yeah, stood up to that and he said, yep. he said, don't go to Iraq. It's just, it's basically just a, a kind of an ego operation. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. And he, he booked a whole hour of, of Donahue, Donahue, which for Donahue. younger viewers is like that. Yeah. Well, other people probably won't. It's, it was like yeah. he was the godfather of talk shows. He started it yeah. all. And he booked a whole hour. It cost him like millions of dollars. And um, huh. Don, he just let him speak. And he did that because he, he had love for the country. And he insisted on telling people the truth about Iraq. And, you know, this whole like plight for protect other people's freedom was just a, was a red herring. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I, I honor the, the people that serve and I respect the people that serve. And, uh, you know, I certainly thank them for their service. I just wish they wouldn't go to the places. They wouldn't have to go to the places they're sent because the places yeah. they're sent. Afghanistan is not going to nuke us. You know, Iraq is not going to nuke no. us. They're not going to they don't have a no. Navy. They're not going to sail. They're not going to land on our shores. No. They, don't, they don't have an airborne force. They're not going to, you know, fly down. And if they have a terrorist cell, then we can go with our special forces and kill them. We don't have to have a war to do it. Yeah. You look at uh, Trump no. killed two people, basically changed the course of, of Middle East history by killing two people, uh, al-Baghdadi and uh, Soleimani. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was done. <laughs> you know, and, and life goes on. But so, so back to my original point here, um, the deep state, the people that care only about themselves and, and what I would call the genuine, you know, the, the genuine politicians that care about the country. And they can be from green to Christian conservative, you know, but they, they all, and they have yeah. different ways of, of making the country great. Okay. And that's what we, that's what we talk about. Yeah. But I, I find far more in common with you, even on the issues we would disagree with than I would with a deep state person because, and I call them the, the GOP goobers yeah. is what I'm calling them now because they don't care. Yeah, they, they've country. corrupted both parties. Yeah. The, the deep well, state is has infiltrated both parties, mm-hmm. and you, you can see this all the time. You're seeing this with uh, Republicans resenting Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. and and other uh, and the emergence of the the Freedom Caucus, which is like the, almost the uh, antithesis of the Progressive Caucus, and 
<laughs> even though <laughs> they're they're much more fun they're much more fun to deal with. Um, well, you know what you should really do uh, would be fascinating is to have a progressive because freedom caucus summit. Just get I'd, lo- together. I'd love to get down with Chip Roy. He's a great. He's a, yeah. I love his style. Well, I love, every time part. I watch this guy on TV, I think he rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's easy to do somebody that has a really strong position, even if you disagree with it completely. And here's the funny yeah. thing: just some some little insight from my uh, my limited government experience in in the University of Massachusetts when I was in the student government. I was actually a lobbyist for the student government before I learned a lot of my skills for uh, what I do now, uh, going to the state of Massachusetts, the state house, and you know presenting our budget figures and lobbying for a bigger budget uh, for my university. And so I learned a lot of things. Wow. When you do it, yeah, I was like 18, 19 years old. They know, let when a student actually, do that job? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> we were the first. Uh, my friend Ken and I were the first to actually do that. We created the student lobbying team out of nothing. Uh, and we had a, a mentor named Ken Mazakowski. And I'm sure he's passed away now. He was about, I don't know, 10, 15 years older than we were then. And I'm 63, so he'd be in his 80s now. Um, hopefully he's still around. But the guy was a genius. He, but he's one of these genius nerdy guys that was never going to get anywhere because he, he was nerdy and he didn't look the part of a, of a great politician. You know, if, if uh, Donald mm. Trump looked like Pee Wee Herman, how successful would he be in politics? You know, or, or Luke Costello. Did, um, Perot too. Remember like it was on all yeah. the, they were making fun of his ears and things like that. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was very, very, it was, it was very embarrassing for the country, you know, to, to treat somebody like that who's, he spent so much of his own. The Bible says, you know, the person who gives more of themselves is more blessed than a rich man who gives a penny. Yeah. Um, and he really gave of himself because he felt strongly about it. And all they could, you know, and he was right, of course. And what did they do? They just, you know, the deep state got in there and just said, ah, oh, he's got funny ears. You don't want that to be a president. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. God. Yeah, or, or Trump's a Nazi, or, or Bernie Sanders is going to destroy the country, or all the, whatever. I don't know what they said about Bernie, but yeah, whatever. Bernie. Everybody, Bernie is not a communist, and the progressives are not communists. I'd be the first person to end the communist. Well, let's talk about the difference. We just let's, want uh, people. Yeah, we want. So let's, let's outline we want the difference. America to look like Europe. We want America mm-hmm. to be like Europe, or worst case scenario, Canada, where everything works and it's clean and people are happy, as opposed to the kind of biting misery that we see now and just kind of kick you in the teeth capitalism. Um, you know, there, there's a middle ground. There's a middle ground there and it starts with mm-hmm. programs like universal basic income. That's the panacea. That's okay. the panacea. It How would that money work from the billionaire class. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you. It's like you okay, take no. money from the billionaire class. For me, anybody with over nine digits of net worth is on my radar. Okay. And you take their you, you take the money that you need from them and then you give it to the to the middle and lower classes to help even it out so that they can afford their home, they can afford their children's education, they can afford the necessities of life and have a little left over to put for their golden years. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, we have statistics that show 40% of Americans, 40% can't afford a $500 emergency setback. Yep. I heard it was 400. Life. It's actually I mean, dropped. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, it's it's really bad, and it's like America is not working, but it can mm-hmm. be fixed. But nobody wants to do the problems because that means making the people who caused the problems pay pay for it, mm-hmm. and they don't want to do that. We're seeing it in San Francisco right now, you know, with the homeless and it's just getting. And they say, well, what can we do? It's real easy. 
mm-hmm. take the money from the 77 billionaires who live uh, out of the 156 who live in California, 77 of them live right here in the 7x7 in San Francisco. Take it from them, and you know we have 40,000 vacant units in the city. 40,000. Oh, really? That could have a homeless problem. How do you have a homeless problem with 40,000? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> they're trying to put this on the cops. That's what they're trying to do. They're oh, okay. trying to say we need, you know, it's, it's a police matter. We need to, like, stop them from using drugs. But everybody, huh. everybody who's on the ground in that situation, all those nonprofits are all saying the same thing as me, is that people are using because they're in despair. Many of them right. would rather be dead right now. And that's the problem we need to fix first. When they have a home, when they have like some kind of a meaningful vocation, they generally don't go out and, you know, pull things off the shelves in Walgreens or do drugs or any of that things. It's been proven time and time again. They've tried universal basic income in some pilot cities. The first one was in Stockton. And everyone, and all the critics are saying, oh, they're going to go buy drugs and all that. Wrong. They spent that money on paying down debt and buying life necessities. And now they're trying it in San Jose, yeah. too. And this, pro- this program needs to go nationwide, and it needs to go now. Money solves 99% of socioeconomic problems. Race, all that stuff is solved with money. Race is a false issue. Everything uh, else is just no, noise. Uh, Americans, we don't care. You know, there are poor people of every color. There are poor people of, of both sexes. There are poor, poor people of every gender, of, of every, you know, nationality. There's poor people all over the place. Yeah. For different reasons. So There's it's, it's, 20 it's million not, poor black yeah. people. Do you yeah. know how many poor white people are? 40. What, eight? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say 60, but yeah. 40 yeah. million. Yeah. So it's like that, uh, they've been trying to start a race war for years, hoping that it'll just solve their problems, but we're not really buying it anymore. No, we got better things to do. So, you know, you yeah. think about all the people that go to work together in the different companies, the people that serve in the military together, yeah. the people that uh, do all kinds of things. But the difference, again, the difference, just like the difference in, in politics, is between the deep state, you know, the, the intelligence folks, yeah. the secret committees, the defense people, the neocons, um, all those folks that, that are interested in their own power and nothing else. I wrote an article you might be interested in called The Nation of Government, describing Washington, D.C. as its yeah. own country with their own passports, their own currency, their own, uh, you know, identifications, their own credentials, things like that. And the states basically serve them yeah. and, and pay for like colonies. You know of DC, but just as, as that is uh, is a is a difference. You know the folks that are in the upper echelons of, of society, the the absolute the highest income folks, they don't understand. You know people that have, you know you, if you're a trust fund baby and you know you've you've been handed a, a good college career and, and a good job, you've never really struggled. I understand that you don't understand what life is like for 99 percent of the other people out there. However, here's here's yeah. the big difference. You and I both want the same things. More money in people's pockets, more money they can spend. But we have completely yeah. different ways. We have complete no. Here's this is I said this is why I'm so glad you brought this up, because I would do it in a completely different way, and yet we both want exactly the same things. Well, gee, Greg, how can a uh, you know a, an anti-federalist and a progressive want the same things? Easy. We want the best for people. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I would do it, the first thing I would do is to uh, take eliminate any withholding of income. Um, from, see, I'm not giving people stuff. I'm just changing the way the system works, but it actually ends up with the same result. People get more money. You take, you know how you have to, um, everybody has money withdrawn from their paycheck and withholding tax. Ultimately, I want to get rid of the withholding mm. tax. But the first thing I would do is get rid of the withholding tax up until the point where you earn your standard deduction because your standard deduction is what people get back. 
but they have to wait a year for it. Mm-hmm. So, so you work in 2023. You're not going to get your 2023 money back until 2024. Well, that's crazy. When you file your income tax return, you're going to get your standard deduction back. It's going to be taken off the taxable income. So what I'm saying is don't tax that income in the first place. Nobody should have any money withdrawn from their paycheck until they've earned the standard deduction amount, 12000 13000 whatever it is. Then you start taking uh, withholding in- income because that money actually will be taxed. It's not coming back. That is, those, those are the taxes that you're going to pay. But if people make what? What's the average salary now? 35000 roughly? Uh, yeah, just double minimum wage. The first two digits, uh, the first, the dollar digits of minimum wage, and that's the yearly wage in thousands of dollars. So if oh, it's like if you're making fifteen dollars an hour, then you're making thirty thousand a year, roughly speaking. Oh, so that's how minimum wage works. Okay, so I'm just trying to think of the average salary. It's not that. That's just how. Too... Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just say. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, our, easy, yeah, it makes my math easier. So if, you, if you're making 35000 a year and the standard deduction is 15, well, say, well, say 12000 it's going to take you almost mm-hmm. a third of the year um, to make enough money to, to, you know, for the income uh, for your standard deduction. So if there was no money taken out of your paycheck, you'd have all that money up front, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to wait for it to come back. Well, yeah, year. I mean, you've certainly got, well you've got thought it out. But yeah. So the point I, is I that people, people get their can, money. Um, uh-huh. That's just the I first believe, one. I believe, don't quote me on this, but mm-hmm. I believe people can, can opt out of withholding. No, um, I don't think so, unless you become an independent contractor. Yeah, the can, yeah no, they can um, put a maybe, – yeah, maybe I'm thinking of independent contractors, but yeah. um, there was a you can have a, to do that. Yeah, you can have a lot of deductions, but very, very little is withheld, to, if any. Yeah. You, take 99 you just have to do your own taxes later. But I've always yeah. been a fan of something that Reagan actually wanted to do called free file and that means you don't file any tax returns the government gives you a bill and and saying this is what you owe and um, you can either accept it or you can challenge it the idea that we have to do the government's work for them is kind of preposterous well and they like, already you know, have the information have to anyway. out what we owe <laughs> i mean it's really become a <laughs> lie detector test they had yeah, that information anyway. They've had it for yeah, decades because they already know. They know how much you make. Uh, your, your employers reported it. They so know. why do we have to? Uh, why do we have to file a return exactly. for information that they already know, right? And it makes no mm. sense, you know. And so what yeah, I'm saying, no Jackie's a, and then if you get it wrong, they come and arrest you, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and yet they already knew, you know. So I don't want the government preparing my taxes. But but here's the other thing that there's a much bigger plan. And so again, which well, there's three mm. things I would do. First of all, in withholding. Um, second thing I would do um, is is convert Social Security to a privatized system like like Chile has, where people the money doesn't go to a government account; it goes to your account, and you still can't touch it to you like sixty two, sixty five, whatever. But it's it's your money, mm-hmm. and you can, it stays in your family; it's not government issued. And that way, the government's completely out of the out of the pension business because it's Social Security, which is like a second income tax, as opposed to uh, individual security, which is what I'd be in favor. So that's the that's the second thing: first withholding, second Social Security, but the big one is a constitutional amendment that takes away the power of Congress to borrow money. This is the game changer. Mm-hmm. See, everything, so the, where I disagree with your plan is, it, is taking from some people to give to others. And what I'm saying is you don't have to do that. If you take away the power from the deeps, which I do want to take away from, you take away the power yeah. to borrow money. Here's what happens. As soon as you take away the power of Congress to borrow money, then everything changes. They have to live within the budget like the states do. 
All right. So there's no inflation anymore because they can't print money to cover expenses. There's no central bank. This is in my provision, too. So the Fed goes away. Well, so instead of, it's, to play oh, devil's on, me, advocate. Just, I mean, the, no, okay. okay, go ahead. But, you know, I just want to pull the scenario through. So if you get rid of inflation, right. you get rid of the ability to borrow. The debt gets paid down as the treasury bills come due. The interest comes down. Eventually, Derek, uh, our financial guy, we figured about 30, 40 years, national debt will be gone. All right. So you have deflation which means everybody's money is worth more. So you're not giving people more money. You're making the same money they have worth more, which means the prices go down. And the transfer of wealth from the Fed, from the private you know, central banks, and the government back to the people would be huge. Now, I don't know if it corresponds exactly to your guaranteed income, but to me it makes a lot more sense, and it doesn't cost anything. We just take away a power of Congress that they never should have had. And so you do those three things. You stop Congress borrowing, you privatize mm. Social Security, and you end withholding. And that's how I do it. And I don't know if they correspond exactly, but I think that it's the same result. It puts a ton more money in people's pockets. It makes their money more valuable. Go ahead, and then I want to get to my uh, my colleague. Well, I was just going to say it it doesn't uh-huh. account for like um, unforeseen circumstances. Like let's say a uh, tornado takes out you know the 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 the, uh, the breadbasket in the Midwest, mm-hmm. or um, uh, we're in, we're invaded by. Mexico or something by military forces, um, and we right. have to like um, mobilize our economy and um, pay people to build, you know, tanks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really it doesn't really uh, that allow anyway. for that kind of emergency spending that needs to happen. Uh, and, and that's that's a common thing. People say, well, what about a pandemic? What about an emergency? So the first thing that happens in mm-hmm. an emergency like COVID, and we can talk about this too, is that the government takes your rights away illegally. Uh, I wrote an article that the cure for COVID was freedom. Early treatments would have taken care of, of, of most of COVID very quickly. It would have been over with by June of uh, 2020. Um, so I would I would disagree with that, that we can do it. We don't, you know, if uh, what you do is you do what everybody else does. You have a savings account. Government uses the treasury for what it's supposed to be for, which is to put money away for a rainy day. Florida has a bunch of money because we've had a good economy. So that's how I would do it. So, mm-hmm. again, same basic idea. We want to cover emergencies. We want to have people, you know, for natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, fires, things like that. And we can talk about Maui. Um, but. It's a different, like I said, it's a different approach for how we, how we want to handle it. All right, let's get Bianca in line. One of my favorite regular callers here. I'm with Bianca Von Krieg on the left coast. What's up, Bianca? No, you uh, don't wait. have to have any taxes taken out of your check. I don't have any taken out of mine. Okay. Lucky so guy. What you got to do it? When you file, you do a form. And when you file your taxes, then you at the time... If you owe something, then you owe them. No, deduction, uh, tax, filing taxes is, is, is good because you have deductions along the way that's legal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not saying get rid of deductions. I'm not, I'm not, in fact, I would have you have more credit. RS don't know anything about those deductions until you send those forms in. Right, and that's why you do have to file. See, I, that, that's why I disagree with Bianca, that I would not want the IRS sending me a bill. What? Because that, that puts the burden on me. In other words, I'm now guilty until I prove myself innocent. I think it's much better that we all file our returns with our deductions. The only time the RS sends you a bill is when you do, when you owe something. Mm-hmm. You do your own taxes, and you take advantage of all these deductions, then uh, that's the way that you get about it. I had employees that had zero taken out of their checks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done it myself. 
Bianca, what do you think? Well, I think most people generally take the standard deduction, so it just comes back to my argument that it's better to let the government just send you a bill, and then if you want to contest it, you can, uh, if, there, if you have extenuating circumstances. But if, if you're like most Americans and you just take the standard deduction and you don't have any weird expenses um, or not using any government loopholes like Amazon is, um, it just works out better for you because it's it's a very intimidating process for most people to do the to do the tax return. Well, and uh, the reason I've been since I was Reagan was I've done my own taxes for years. Yeah, he's read the reading. Well, we're not all equal, Greg. <laughs> you're you're if you are a wonder kid. Uh, well, I'm it's, written, for you, it's, it's not that hard to read the instructions. Well, that's and you can always hire somebody. I, I don't do my own plumbing. I hire people, but I can read the instructions on an IRS yeah. form. Yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. It, 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 that's another problem. People don't have sense like Greg does. You're dealing with a bunch of ignorant people in society that cause all these problems. And, you know, when people say everybody shouldn't vote, well, I'm kind of believing they shouldn't. This is such an interesting show. <laughs> I got a progressive from way, San Francisco. I got a black way, conservative, and I got me. This is a great day. I love you're it. right. By the way, I'm black <laughs> in saying that. We would never know, Pianchi, unless you told us, so I really appreciate you uh, filling us in. I'm teasing you. <laughs> Pianchi calls almost every day. It's really great. It, it, it's kind of like my co-host. It's wonderful. All right. Um, listen, I want to do the, the Kennedy thing for a bit because we had Christina Bob on the show recently. And, and uh, mm-hmm. like you suggested off the air, it'd be great to get you two together, but she's almost impossible to get on the show. So like I say, twice in six months, I think I'm doing well. But one of the things we talked about, was a Trump Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, debate. I've talked to a friend of mine at uh, um, Right Side Broadcasting, uh, Jessica Rivera, who I think is a friend of yours, uh, at least on Facebook. Um, she's a reporter. Uh, and I'm, oh, yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. We, we, just, we, uh, we don't talk that much, but yeah, she's, she has a friend. Okay. Right. Um, and, but if you have some folks that you know that, that know Kennedy, uh, this would be a great thing. And they may not do it. I mean, next week's the first debate, so they might not get it then. But if we can get them sometime soon, uh, either right before or after Labor Day, to just sit down on a live discussion and just talk about the issues like grown-ups, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mm-hmm. make all these other idiots look like idiots. Both, uh, uh, well, I don't know if anybody's running on the Democrat side. They should. I don't know why no one's running against Brandon. Why well, is nobody running against they, Brandon? They've got, a, that. they've got a stranglehold on on the party. And let, let, me t- let me tell you a personal example I have. From this. Okay. Um, when I was uh, leading the recall with the other gentleman against Newsom, I secured 500,000 California Democrats to sign it. That was mm-hmm. a third of the, of, the, of the votes that we needed to get Newsom recalled. Right. And I, at the time, because it was COVID, um, it forced us all on a Zoom. So I was attending Democratic clubs from up and down the state, from Humboldt to San Diego. And Newsom had somebody in, in every club deliver the same message, don't even think about um, getting into the race, or you'll be Cruz Bustamante. And for those of you who don't know who yeah, Cruz Bustamante is, that. he was the lieutenant yeah. governor about 20 years ago, um, back when Greg Davis was recalled so they could get Arnold Schwarzenegger in. And Cruz figured he'd run as a safety bet, <laughs> as a safety candidate, so to speak, but that just ended up causing more problems than it solved. Um, and so he never, he was never heard from again. 
and and that's the idea is that uh, um, and that's what they do and that's why they can't affect people like me and Trump because we don't care you know (laughs) I've got nothing to lose I've got nowhere to go but up and you know he's kind of the same way do you have like your own branch of the party now or is there a progressive wing of the Democrats that's you know a decent progressive as opposed to the the Marxist wing the communist wing so let's talk about the Democrat party because the progressive caucus is the biggest caucus Okay, tell me about it. The Progressive Caucus is the biggest one in the Democratic Party. That's it. It's, and and we all get along great. We all think the same. So it's just, um, okay. yeah, they're um, they're really the, the the heart of the Democratic Party. What it used to be, and what it should be now. Well, see now, how does it differ from liberals? So I, I think of like uh, Pink. I get you in just a second. Like like Robert Kennedy is a classic liberal. Democrat, you know, ACLU yeah. the way they used to be, you know, he's uh, loves yeah. the country, believes in a That's strong defense, like believes, delete, believes in, in, in a lot of the same things, just as a different way of doing it. His solutions are much more likely to be government programs. My solutions are more likely to be, like I said, um, you know, creating a good economic climate or, or creating the things that will allow for the same prosperity, but not directly, you know, taking from one to another or instituting a program that costs money. That, that's the biggest difference that we have, but we still want the same things. You know, money in people's pockets and mm-hmm. a better system and more freedom. So how does how does someone like a like a Robert Kennedy, who is what I would call a classic liberal Democrat, uh, compare to the Progressive Caucus? Well, it's it's almost night and day. Um, okay. And what we, we we have a term for them now, those kind of moderate Democrats, those dinos are traditionally called neoliberals, meaning kind of just whatever feels comfortable for them as long as they can make money and let other people go to hell, so to speak. <laughs> you know, a lot of here in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm serious. With the neocons, Anything thing. goes as long as mm-hmm. he has money. Uh, you know, you can yeah. stick your dick wherever you want, no problem. <laughs> and, uh, they're, you know, they're okay with that. But, you know, but you better have money to, to donate and otherwise you're done. And... <clears throat> And, I, and I've seen it with some um, LGBT, you know, Democratic clubs, unfortunately, kind of turn mm-hmm. their backs on progressive, and rather cheaply because of the nasty. All Pelosi gives them is like fifteen hundred bucks a year or something like that, mm. uh, and that's how cheap. That's how easily she, they're, they're bought off. Unfortunately, they don't respect wow. the fact that if it wasn't for the progressives in our political history. We would be nowhere right now, and that includes minorities too. You know, it, we they, being who the, the American it, people, it, or, or well, you know, like black people, Hispanic, whatever. Um, when you turn your back on the progressive, you know, uh, candidates and policies, you turn your back on your heritage and kind of dis disrespect the people who fought to get you where you are now. And, yeah, I and disagree, seeing, but I want to get Pianki's seeing, comment first. Pianki, mm-hmm. what do you think of that? You know, when you talk about this, that, and the other, when it comes down to group, what are the issues? You have to lay the issues on the table so they can be inspected. Group A, group B, group C. Democrats, Republicans, liberals, what are the issues? Who in the hell is this deep state? It seems like it's a (laughs) cop-out for getting down to the nitty-gritty. And it's not only in politics, but it's in other areas where people talk to deep. Who is the deep state? Put some names, faces, emails, post office boxes to them. So we know who you're talking about. Were you about. listening earlier when I told you how to find them? Greg, you Say want to again. pick up on that? Oh, sure. No. It's, well, it's I told you earlier how to find them. You know, well, yes, yeah, but here's the thing. 
I was told there was a Santa Claus. I sent letters to the mm-hmm. North Pole and nothing came back. Oh no! So I sent to the wrong well, place. Yes, those if, that come to if, me yes, tell Virginia, me there, there is a Santa deep Claus. State. Yeah. All right, People here's how that I came it. to me telling me that there was a Santa Claus. I stayed up till midnight, one o'clock, never seen him come down the chip. So produce them is all I ask. Did you really think somebody we was can't, anyway. You can't expect, I, people, you can't the kids expect people who believe in contrails to go out doing research and looking for somebody who uh, they can't get the door open. Chemtrails is a whole other issue. We can talk about that. That's one of my more amusing <laughs> things. All right, let's, let's, let's define this, um, uh, the, the deep state. So, so Bianca's definition, it's, really, it's actually very simple, is that anybody that's taking money from both sides, taking money from, uh, from the left, from the right, from conservatives, from liberals, from Democrats, from Republicans. They're, ta- they're, taking, they're just taking money. The way I define the deep state is people that have no care for this country at all. All they care about is their power and status. So that would be the people that have raised our, our debt to $32 trillion and don't care. Uh, the people that have wars all over the place since, uh, uh, let's go back to Korea. You know, the, the first thing that happened after World War II was that uh, the, the United Nations was formed and they split Korea in 1945 uh, into a North and a South. And guess what? There's a war there, right? So then uh, that went from mm-hmm. 50 to 53. And what happened in 54? They split Vietnam into two countries, a North and a South. And guess what happened a few years later? There was a war there, you know, and then they didn't have to split Iraq. They, they already had a boogeyman, you know, and then Afghanistan. I don't know, still don't know why we went in Afghanistan. And Ukraine? Well, that, that's like the Democrat, you know, deep state piggy bank, <laughs> you know, so it's a, that's a, that's a money laundering operation, uh, just like Haiti was for, for the Clinton Foundation. Um, so it's, so the deep state is, is the organization, is the internal Washington society that is a self-perpetuating, um, basically dictatorship. So they operate outside of government, outside of the constitution, they exercise power, but they don't have any accountability. So that's, that to me is the deep state. Yeah, but you still have to put some names to them. That's what black people do. They're always talking about this damn day, 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 day. Who in the hell is this day? Okay. Uh, let's, let's start at the top. You know, Obama. Make a uh, list. Mitch, Mitch McConnell. You have them in your crosshairs. Uh, Chris You have them in your crosshairs. You know whether to fire or not to fire. Okay. Let's take every... Need to, they need to have a All right. List. Let's just... Okay. Now you ask a question. I, I, I can, well, I can answer. Just because you can't so see I, something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. Like microbes or bacteria or viruses. Well, I'm a grandfather, but I'm here to tell you now Santa Claus does not exist. Oh, you've just ruined the audience. What about our kids who are listening? (laughs) Oh, God, what are we going to do now? Great. Thanks, Bianchi. He's trying to (laughs) destroy the generation. (laughs) Kids are crying right now. I I don't think kids are listening listening to to adult programming. Not that young. Although we do do have a teenage (laughs) reporter, which is fascinating because she's brilliant. Um, So so that's that's quite interesting also to have uh, some of the younger folks. All right, so... So what is, so what's the what's the progressive caucus view of the deep state? How do how do you guys handle you know the the Mitch McConnells the the McCarthy's you know the the what's his name Schumer's the Pelosi's how do you handle these people that are you know handling the reins of power well the secretly? Pelosi's they, it's for the Pelosi's it's me right yeah and uh, and the thing is is that um, I the day. The day after the election, I sent her a little uh, a framed picture, and it had that picture of the remember the the one in the press room where they showed her walking with wet hair um, during the COVID I think thing. A video of that was, too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I had a picture of that, and I had a picture of her garage door being vandalized, and in the caption it said, "You may have had their votes, but I have their hearts." <laughs> 
That's good slogan. And um, so, what's and with Paul Pelosi? So the thing is, what are we doing oh, about it? The thing is, we have to r- yeah. worry about the deep state within our own party first. Okay. Obviously, you know, the Republicans have their um, their problems with the deep state too, and I think that's something that we have. It's it's common ground, for yep. sure. Um, but we have to get rid of the deep state politicians within our party, who have uh, who, who are some of the it. worst? Who are some of the yeah, worst but, ones but, that are that are only only in for their own power? Hold on, Pianki. Just want to I want to ask that first. Who are the deep? Who's the deep Democrats? Uh, who are the, the worst? Well, Pelosi, obviously, obviously Pelosi Schumer. was the was the worst of them. Um, right. Yeah, Chuck Schumer can has got definitely got his hand out. Uh, Merrick Garland. I, I, I'm, we're Chris kind of Ray. watching Hakeem Jeffries right now. Okay. Uh, is you know this? Uh, to tell you the truth, I've mostly been focused on Pelosi over the last two years. Adam Schiff. Um, Adam Schiff is a Adam, yeah. Adam there. Schiff is definitely a hack, and uh, they were both, they were both up here during Pride too. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this big banquet for them, the LGBT community. And what mm-hmm. do what do Pelosi and Schiff have in common? They were both challenged by members of the LGBT community. Schiff was challenged by a drag okay, so queen then, from uh, Echo Park or something like that. Okay, so this is fascinating. All right, so in California, let me oh, let me get Pianchi's question first, then I'll, then I'll get to my Pianchi. You had a question you want to ask? Yeah, who is the we? You say we it's, got to get rid of them. I don't live in in California, so I don't get to ask you talking about way of voting. He's in Missouri. beating them up. Well, in way of voting, I don't vote for I don't live in California. I know something's wrong with King Jesse because I know his uncle, Leonard, been knowing him for a long time. Oh, that's interesting. But who is this week? I, I don't quite understand. Which, uh, when I'm saying we have to get rid of well, the D.C., I mean Americans have to get rid of oh, them. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, And just because it's not happening in your backyard doesn't mean it won't come there soon enough. Like a play. Well, you know, and, and not to be attacked, but when people say blacks, what is it that the progressives have given blacks? What have the progressives given me and my family? Because I hear the things well, that the people with the I hear the things that uh, Akeem Jeffrey talks about. I don't want that. So it's very disingenuous to be trying to lump all blacks in one big pile. It just does not exist especially for some conversations, then the next conversation is at a 90 degrees of what you presented before that. I hear people say. So what are the progressives Well, there's certainly a kernel of concern to your argument, um, to be sure. Well, it's actually bigger than a kernel of corn. But But if the progressives have gotten something to me that's as big as a walnut, then what is it? Well, see, I understand why he's asking the question because, you know, I think of Martin Luther King. He was more conservative. He talked about the American dream. He talked about the Declaration of Independence. I mean, I read the I Have a Dream speech every Martin Luther King day, you know, so fairly well versed not in everything he did. But uh, as far as I, I still some contention, but as far as I know, he was a registered Republican. And so it's it, the civil rights movement was not uh, an exclusively progressive movement. It was really an American movement for, for freedom and equality that covered a lot of different areas and people. So I understand where Priyanki's question is coming from. Does that make sense? Yeah, Including Johnson's Great no, Society. You can have okay, freedom, but you're not going to have equality across the board. It ain't going to happen. You only get to be out in the Well, money is a great start to that. Yeah. 
Money yeah, helps, wanna... helps bring equality pretty quick. And that's what we're yeah. trying to go for. We're trying... Well, you're absolutely right. That's why, I come, I, uh, that's why I had a job, a profession, that I had fulfilled all my tax obligations by the middle of February. So equality is not going to help everybody across. It's just not going to happen. I mean, just really think about what people are saying when they say they want equality. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'm going to hold you up just for a little bit, just in the interest of time, because I want to get a few more issues covered. And we don't get a chance to talk to uh, you know a genuine progressive from the left coast all that often. Thus, I'd love to have you back on a regular basis, because this is the insights that you can provide that we just don't get are great. Um, now, you mentioned the LGBT community going after the Democrats. And my thought was that there's only certain people that can say certain things. There are only certain things that black people can say in this country, particularly the N-word. There are certain things that uh, liberals can say, certain things that conservatives can say. You know, uh, it's just it's fascinating. So the idea in California, a liberal progressive state where the Republicans have no voice, I mean, none that the people that can go mm-hmm. after the liberal progressives and not be called racist, sexist, homophobes is the LGBT community. So that to me is interesting. Yeah. So how does that work? Yeah, how the correct. dynamics that's... work in California? So tell me about it. I'm sure a political science professor could explain it much better than I can, but I'll give it a shot. I don't really, I don't really, I'm not really interested in dissecting it. I'm more interested in utilizing it right now. <laughs> Okay. So how because does it, 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 it is an, it is, fascinating. It is what, what you're saying is true. What you're saying okay. is true, and and that's the only way to do it. We're the only ones with credibility. You know, when Republicans do it, it's just like, oh, they're just being Republicans. Right. But it was, you know, it was the same thing a couple summers ago when I led a, a group of people to the White House. It was part of this larger demonstration of the Sunrise Movement, and What's that? we shut the entire thing down. The entire every gate. We were at every gate. Shut the whole place down. We had dignitaries giving us the bird, the whole, and um, <clears throat> and it even dominated the the press briefing at the time. They were asking, I think it was John uh, Jen Sasaki or something like, it's like who are those people outside? Um, well, they're people who care about the environment, and it's like, wait a minute, don't the Democrats care about the environment? And aren't they Democrats? Aren't they liberals too? And it's, yeah, but they don't really think we're doing a great job on it. <laughs> And that and that that became a, a, a an eye opener to the to the to the world press because we thought we you know all Democrats were just hunky dory together, and you're seeing that there is some serious strife, <clears throat> and and it's because you know they they the mainstream Democratic Party has gone away from its core values, so yeah it has to come from within to it to to attack it unfortunately. Um, and again, like you said, we have different approaches to getting to the same place. Yeah. And people tend to prefer what we're doing as opposed to what Republicans want. So. Um, well, I think it depends on where yeah, you are. In, from, uh, listen, uh, having lived in the Bay Area and now I'm in conservative Florida in Milton, just outside Pensacola, trust me, it's a different world. We might as well be on a different planet. Uh, it's it's that, oh, yeah, uh, I get that. that much of a contrast. Yeah. Which is. I, you know, partially why I'm here, uh, because I, I could not do this show in San Francisco. I'd be off the air and, uh, you know, run out of town and the whole bit. Um, and even though not particularly partisan, I go after Republicans, Democrats, I go after all the parties. But, you know, like I say, I'm a, you know, an anti-federalist, so the people don't even know what that is. All right, what's the Sunrise Movement? That's the first I've heard of it, although you may have mentioned it before. Oh, yeah, the Sunrise is a is a kind of like the the Green New Deal's army, so to speak. Um, oh, they were endorsed by 
yeah, they were endorsed by um, AOC, who actually actually sat in on a protest in an, in another in another Congress uh, person's office. <laughs> AOC joined him and sat on the floor too, and that's really <laughs> when they um, they okay. picked up steam. So yeah, there's um, somebody I'd love to talk but, to. Yeah, I mean, uh, it should be fascinating to have on the show. And it's interesting, oh, yeah. Matt Gates, I mean, my congressman geez. talks to AOC all the time. Apparently, they get along really well. So it's, it's you know. That's the thing, is that we, have, we have more in common than people want to believe. Right. And that's what they, they're trying to divide us on these ridiculous mm-hmm. things like abortion or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, really, when you get down to it, the, the Freedom Caucus is about kind of core values. And so is the Progressive Caucus. About core values, and then you have the the rest of these parties who are just about you know kind of lining the deep state's pocket, and that's really the way it's shaken out, and that's well, why you know I have a lot of respect for Chip Roy, and yeah. and I liked seeing them kind of rumble there on the House floor you know during the speaker debate. That was great. I wish they'd do that again. I even sent I even sent uh, messages to uh, to like some some of these you know progressive caucus members. You know mm-hmm. we should have their kind of fight in us. Those guys That's really funny, know how to we, fight. We, we say the same thing. That we, that we say if we fought like Democrats, you know, Trump would be in the White House, you know. And so it's exactly <laughs> that. Is, that's really kind of funny. So what do Democrats, progressive Democrats, those that don't like the Democrat Party, think of Donald Trump? There's some support there, isn't there? We, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. People who couldn't um, vote for Bernie Sanders didn't necessarily vote for Clinton. They actually, many of them actually voted for uh, Donald Trump. Interesting. And that, that tells you all you need to know right there is that you know we're we're not about having these kind of DC insiders anymore. You know these these nominations are just not to be bestowed upon you know the people who put in their time or whatever they've done to get there. Yeah, it's they, my turn. You know, it's the, that, that's deep state. Yeah, there's what? no Bob turns Joel, in this stuff. Turn. There is. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. Why did there's they no vote terms, for Donald Trump? None of this. Yeah, so unfortunately, they've been able they've been able to. Uh, what, does somebody want to ask a question? No, no. Go ahead and finish. Then I'll get the questions. Basically, what you're talking about now. But so just so continue. Oh, uh, uh, they they seem to push this narrative as Trump is a racist, which they're really. I mean, I believe Trump is kind of a jackass, um, but that doesn't make him a racist or you know any of these other like harsh things that they're saying. He could definitely benefit from the Barack Obama school of humility, to be sure. But um, you know, uh, I, I think there 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 are, there there is pretty evidence out there that does con- that does that does allow us to conclude that there is an uh, um, a definite force working against him. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind is the Corona vaccine. Came out mm-hmm. the day after the election. Come on, come on. <laughs> That's interesting. That, that was done to humiliate him. Yeah. And and I can't think of how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people suffered or even died because because of that kind of petty deep state you know animus. Um, and well, you know, I used to watch itself. the press briefings. This is go ahead, finish. This well, is I, a huge I, topic. You just opened up. I used to watch the press briefings in you know in his in his White House. And they would they would hardly let them talk. They you know the, as a group the press corps just decided to try to hijack the whole thing. Right. And it was they they weren't really asking so much questions as making statements. And 
you know, not allowing the, you know, the the press secretary press secretary press secretary to say her thing, which I thought was a little unfair. Um, yeah, I want to talk about that for a minute, but I want to get Pianki's question. He had one uh, earlier. Pianki, you had a point you want to make? Okay. Well, I, I want to know why the progressive voters for Donald Trump. That's a good question. Well, like I said, they're not interested in these um, these deep state insiders like Hillary Clinton. You know, we wanted Bernie Sanders. The, the majority of Democrats wanted okay. Bernie Sanders. And the and the thing is, every poll, every one, showed the only person who could beat Donald Trump was Bernie Sanders. But they railroaded him anyway, um, <clears throat> because they had their they had their concerns about Trump too. When I say they, I mean the deep state. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it's like if Bernie got in, Bernie would be just as much of a force as Trump would have been, but just in other ways. And and that scared them, and, that, uh, and we all knew what that. What would you get oh, out of oh, Bernie? What would you get out of Bernie Sanders' policy? No, this is see, I'm I'm a black person, and I don't. But they hear these we, things all the time. It's a generalization of this of, of of things. It never gets to specifics. What are the issues? That's really the reason we why we can't I talk about the specifics. They're issues. too they're too involved, and a lot of people can't understand them but they're what we're trying to say is that we're really trying to help and we've we've committed ourselves to that process i personally committed myself to that process um so well, like i said earlier 40 percent of americans 40 percent of americans can't afford a 500 dollars setback that is that is a that is a very very dark statistic and it's only going to get worse because everybody knows the rich okay, get richer right there. and wealth right is finite. There. Okay, stop right there. Forty percent of Americans cannot stand a withstand a five hundred dollars setback. So, what is the yeah. conditions of those forty percent that gravitates to the reason why they can't? What are they doing? They're not. They're not doing anything wrong. That's the problem. It's the. It's the, these kind of billionaire deep state people who are sucking up all the money. We have 40,000 vacant units in San Francisco and 77 billionaires. We could easily tax them, pay for the people who are struggling to have a good place to live, and it wouldn't affect the middle or even upper class at all. But nobody wants to well, do that because tax, it means... All right, I got to hold you up. Why would you tax a billionaire more so than, a, than anybody else? I mean, they because they've been they more blessed. They've been more blessed, and they should pay They've more. They've been what? Sure. They've been, They've more, been more blessed, and they should pay more. Okay, I got well, I got to hold you both not, up. Um, hold on. We're uh, not saying there shouldn't do, be right. a, like a rich class, but they're saying it's gone too it's gone too far. You yeah. know, I don't know what somebody about? needs more than a hundred million dollars. What do you do with more than a hundred million dollars? Well, as long as you obtain... All right, I got I to gotta hold you up. I got to hold you up. We got to... Sorry, I'm sorry, Pianchi. Uh, but we're at the end of the hour here, and That's I got okay. Tara on the line for uh, um, 
you know, for our, for our animal shelter update. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I think we're not going to sell this now, and that's fine. I understand that. Um, I think that uh, a lot of folks are not familiar with the progressive agenda like you're talking about. So what we can do is spend an hour on universal basic income and a couple of other things, and then Pianchi can, you know, take those issues directly. What I wanted to accomplish today was what we were, things we were talking about, the fact that, uh, you know, there are Democrats who don't want the deep state any more than Republicans want the deep state, deep state being Hillary yeah. Clinton as opposed to Bernie Sanders you know, who, like I say, I would not have voted for, but he got screwed. He, he got railroaded. Yeah. And so anybody that thinks that the 2020 election wasn't stolen, you know, the 2016 election was stolen from Bernie. Uh, and then it just kind of goes from there. I think the 2018 election was the, 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 the Republicans lost the House, and that was stolen by converting about seven seats in, uh, in California. So there's a lot of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, the things we have more in common, the idea that it's a deep state, versus, you know, those of us of honest political beliefs, even though we are completely different sides of the political spectrum, we still want a better country and we want people to have more money and have more prosperity and more freedom. We just have very different ways of yeah. getting at it. But we can talk about that. We can talk about our different ways, our different pathways to economic, social, and individual freedom. That's, but what people don't know, and the reason I like having you on, is that there is a huge world of commonality that nobody else is thinking about. So why do so why there's so many they're thinking about they're just not yeah. broadcasting it. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so but here's another yeah. thing too. The last question then I get to to uh, to Tara. First of all, thank you so much for coming on again. Um, is is that um, a lot of Republicans support Robert Kennedy for the same reason Democrats support yeah. Donald Trump. He's not the deep state. He's honest. We may not agree with everything he says, but he's a man of integrity and he wants the best for this country. I can deal with that. I'd much rather have somebody I disagree with who's honest than somebody who says all the right things that I know is lying through their teeth and is only interested in their own part. So let's just sum that up. What do you think of, of Republicans supporting Kennedy? And before we get you on again, do you think we could work on getting these two together, Trump and Kennedy, somehow? Progressive Caucus talks to the Trump campaign. You know, uh, the, you know the Freedom Caucus talks to uh, you know, the, the Kennedy campaign. Let's, let's start talking. Well, I, I think it's word. certainly very telling of, of how corrupt our, our media is. Because they're pushing a different narrative, they're um, they're they're still trying to like divide us, and we're like, and we're 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 talking like this, we're talking in in various social media groups, and we're connecting, and mm-hmm. we're not we're not going to be divided on the things that they want us to be divided on anymore. And, and that I alone think that's is a good mission for us. Yeah, and that alone is worth having you on. Um, any let me just yeah. let you any contact information, websites, Facebook pages. Uh, anything you want to give, and then I'll get on to, uh, to Tara, who's been very patiently working. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, if you want to know more, just email us or go to uh, www.biancaforsanfrancisco, all one continuous phrase, .org, and you'll find our link to our link tree where you can find all of our social media and all that stuff. And, you know, we'd love to get people involved. We have over 400 people working around the world that are united remotely over platforms like Slack. So we can definitely, and many of them are working full time on researching and ending Pelosi and they've done good work for us. We we can definitely accommodate more people and we'd love to get you on. That would be a shock to conservative world that there's a Democrat organization working to get uh, Pelosi out of office. That alone is news. Thank you, Bianca. Yeah. Bianca von Krieg. We'll do it again soon. And then you're welcome to stick around if you want. We're going to talk uh, critters right now with, uh, with uh, Tara from the Animal Shelter. So thank you so much. Okay. All right. There we go. Let's get to bring on Tara. Bring uh, Bianca back. And Tara, you just walked in on a huge discussion. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, 
Yeah. But do you have any comments? What, this might be a chance because uh, Bianca's still here. Um, questions about the progressive movement, progressive caucus, anything like that that you've wondered about? I don't um, think no, I, I just... need to do a lot of research for myself. Um, I know a lot of people tend to get turned off in politics in general because of the negativity. So hopefully maybe, you know, like you said, if there's a way to bring people together, I think that's super important. And I think that would get yeah. people more involved if it's, if there's some hope, you know, people tend, tend to lose hope because it's so d- divided. So. Not on this show. <laughs> we, we, you know, if, if you're a sincere person, if you're an honest person, if you have the, you know, the courage of your convictions, you're welcome on my show, even if you completely disagree with me. Never an issue. Yeah, I think, right, it's, I think it's great to hear healthy conversations between people yeah. of, of opposite interests and opposite beliefs because I think it, you know, people can do it in a, a civil and adult manner. It really can open people's eyes to the other, the other side of things. There we go. All right. Well said. Let's get to the critters. First of all, let's introduce you and where you represent and uh, give the contact and all the other information, and then we'll see what's going on with with the animals this week. Yeah, so I'm Tara D, and I work for Santa Rosa County Animal Services. We are located at 4451 Pine Forest Road, and that's in Milton, Florida. Our phone number here is 850-983-4680. Our uh, website address is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals, and we do have a website page as well, and that's Santa Rosa County Animal Services, and uh, or Facebook page, rather. And uh, basically, if you're looking for a pet, or looking for a pet you lost or to adopt, you can check out those avenues, or you can come see us Monday through Friday, 1130 to 430. Wednesdays, we are open late until 630, and Saturdays, 10 till 330. Yeah, how are the animals doing in the hot weather? Because we've had um, many, animals are many getting really now. hot here. Yeah, it, it's yeah. really, really probably one of the worst summers we've had in many years here at the shelter. We're getting dogs that are getting overheated, so we're trying to address those issues. Uh, we put out a plea for on our wish list for cooling mats, and the public has been super gracious. We've gotten probably over half the amount of kennels that we have covered for a cooling mat. So those are little things we're doing, try, trying to get the animals, you know, more comfortable. We've got the big industrial fans, but, you know, that's just blowing hot air around. So our actually our big staff has looked into getting some mobile AC units in here to try to at least get the temperature down. We're getting an ice machine back in here so we can keep them topped off with, with ice to keep the water cool because literally the, the water in their bowls is getting warm because of the heat. So we're doing what we can to keep them as comfortable as we can in the, in the environment. But, of course, the ideal thing would be to get them into foster or adoptive homes. So that's what we're, that's what we're working on now, and we appreciate the community supporting us with, with our request when we need something. Yeah, and for my other folks who are still here, Pianki and uh, Bianca, it's hard to say those two names. You have all the two people to have on the show, right? Uh, feel free to mute yourselves, you know, when you're not talking. That way you can, you know, do background noise. But if you want to, you know, join us back in with a question or something, please feel free. Um, how do people, Tara, how do people recognize when their animals are getting too hot? Because they don't sweat, you know. Right, they, so they, they don't, do they don't sweat, but um, the main thing is this heavy panting. Or if a dog okay. looks kind of disoriented, he's not really paying attention to you. And they can get overheated just like us. You know, the worst thing you can ever do is leave them in a car. That that will kill them in a matter of minutes. So we just stress that, and it's something that people repeat with the children, with the kids. You know, don't leave somebody in a car unattended in a hot car. Same thing with the pets. They have a fur coat. They can't take that off, so they're going to get hot super fast, and it just takes a few minutes. Uh, we actually are just working hard to try to keep the dogs who are not in cars 
from overheating just because it's an extreme summer. And so, you know, if your dog is at home, make sure that they have plenty of shade and water if they're outside. If they're an indoor-outdoor dog, monitor the time that they spend outside. If they're outside running laps, like, don't let them continue to do that if you see they're getting overheated. You have to, they're kind of like kids. They don't really know what's best for them sometimes. Okay. You have to be the adult and be like, okay, time to come in, buddy, and get them cooled off. But heavy panting is the main thing. And then if the dog is, like, disoriented or disinterested, whereas normally they're very attentive, those are things to to keep an eye on. And just make sure that they have plenty of fresh water and, you know, just keep an eye on them because the summer is brutal this year. Should people walk the dogs at night? I just thought of that. I mean, if they can, that would be ideal because another thing that they have to worry about, too, is um, walking them on the hot concrete that can burn their paw pads. So that's what I was thinking, if too. You're, yeah. yeah, if you're yeah. able to walk them early in the morning or late in the evening, that's going to be better, but some people's schedules don't allow that. So if you are walking them midday, please just, you know, make sure they have access to water, keep an eye on their paw pads. You know, if you're walking them on the concrete, you really need to do it for just a brief, a brief, brief period of time because they can, you know, they can get burns on their paw pads and then it's going to be painful for them to walk. So just, you know, monitor them closely during this heat. And yeah, but evening walks would be much better if, if that's an alternative, if that's something you can do with your schedule. Hmm. Okay. How are the cats doing? Cats are doing okay here because they are in the AC, so they are the mm-hmm. lucky guys here at the moment. Uh, they kind of, so you, you know, get smaller. Okay. So, so like the well, dogs you know, citizens. And I'm teasing you. <laughs> yeah, so they, yeah, they, they're, they're the, they're the prima donnas here at the shelter. They get uh, yeah. the luxury of being in AC at all times and the heat at all times, whereas the dogs during the summer it's definitely harder for them. Now in the winter time. Mm-hmm. which what little winter we have here in Florida, when it does get super cold, we close up our guillotine doors so the dogs stay in the inside area. We have the blowers that um, are the heated blowers, and then the floors have the the boilers, the little pipes underneath that have the, it heats the floor. So it's it's not terribly, it's not as good as being in a home, obviously, but it's it's a lot more comfortable to be here in the wintertime and be a little chilly you know, than being in the summertime for the dogs. But, yeah, so winter isn't too bad. It's mainly the summer that's that's worse for the animals, for sure. Yeah, one more question before we get to our, our, our list of uh, highlights for this week. Bigger uh-huh. dogs, uh, are they at more risk for heat than smaller ones by chance, or does it matter? Um, I don't think it matters necessarily, but they we send we tend to see more issues with the bigger dogs because um, okay. I think that's just because we have a lot more bigger dogs here. But if a little dog is not used to being outdoors and they're outside, it's definitely it's it's definitely a, an issue with dogs that are used to certain things. You know, if they're they've always been an outdoor dog, mm-hmm. it's not that they wouldn't get overheated, but they're just more acclimated. But if you have a dog that's not used to being outside and you stick him outside for an hour, he Definitely is more likely. Also, the short snout breeds like the English Bulldogs, the Frenchies, these guys have a different a different track, so they're going to overheat a lot more quickly. So you definitely have to watch those guys. They don't well, really they don't have a nose? They well, have yeah, a big pointy nose like a, like a poodle? Yeah. Why is that? Is, yeah. that, is it some physics well, thing or what? Um, now they, you got to be curious. It's the brachial breeds, they all are, already have issues with breathing, so in right. a, they tend to overheat a lot more easy. So... Um, when it's when it's hot out, they are definitely at at a higher risk of getting overheated more quickly. So we would just say don't even have those guys outside except the potty or if you're walking in the evenings. But definitely oh, those are guys to keep a close eye on when, when the heat hits. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> are there any dogs that are particularly good in hot weather? And the, the only thing that comes to mind uh, is Rhodesian Ridgeback because Rhodesia, you know, now Zimbabwe gets pretty hot. 
Uh, right, so right. The dogs that are outside that are bred for, or dogs that were like bred in India, you know, or someplace that's hot. Uh, yeah, our, our hunting to do really dogs well. tend to do better here than some of the other like breeds. Like what hounds? And then lab, uh, well, no, just like we see a lot of walker hounds, treen hounds, and things like that, coon hounds. Okay. They tend to be pretty hardy and are used to kind of being outdoors. Not to say they can't huh. overheat because any dog could overheat, but I think they're more used to being an outdoor dog. And so as a whole, we don't see as many issues. Plus, they're a little leaner, and maybe that helps too. Um, labs tend to do pretty well because they're they like to get in the water. So I think they have the... You know, if, if they're in an area where there's water, like, they'll just go jump in the water. And we see that with our dogs here when we take them out. The labs will jump directly into our little kiddie pools. And, like, they're, they're <laughs> like, we're no dummies. We're going to cool off and have some fun with the water. Whereas yeah. some other breeds are like, ew, water. And then they tend to stay hotter. But as a whole, yeah, pretty much just keep an eye on every dog that's going to be outside with this heat. Because even if they're used to it, the, the temperatures are brutal. And I think even a dog that normally wouldn't get overheated, could possibly right. get overheated this summer. So we just ask everybody to keep an eye out. But, okay. uh, yeah, some of the, the shorter-haired dogs that are more geared to be athletic sometimes do a lot better in the heat than greyhounds. some of the foo-foo <laughs> dogs. I, yeah, you know, we don't even see greyhounds anymore, which is a good thing. But, uh, yeah, Has that been so banned, I don't, or is that, is that still well, legal they to raise greyhounds? The track or down, so, yes, okay. they close down the tracks. We don't see them, and... Um, which is good because huh. they used to be, you know, it used to be a lot of, of greyhounds were being euthanized simply when they couldn't run anymore or weren't making money right. for their owners. So so since that's not a money-making thing for them now, uh, they're not being bred and bred and bred, at least not here. And so we don't huh. see that problem, So which is good. Because there, there were great greyhound rescues, but the numbers of dogs were staggering that were coming from, from that Right. From that money-making thing. So now they're not being bred for that here, so we, we don't see them very often, which is a good thing. They'd be a good watchdog or a good guard dog because they're really fast, <laughs> I would think. But uh, Yeah, they're very fast, but they're big babies. They're chickens. They, they're, oh, very, they're, they're kind of afraid of their own shadows as a whole. So. Really? Oh. Yeah, they're big, big babies. But, I mean, they're That's super so sweet dogs and, and great, great temperaments and fun, but um, uh-huh. I don't know that they would be great watchdogs as a whole. So. Okay. We'll have to do our breed of the week, and, and uh, but this is see these kind of things are interesting. <clears throat> like the fact that the greyhounds, because you know uh-huh. we've all heard about them and seen them, but the fact that they're not breeding them as much because they don't have the tracks that's good, that's good news. Yeah, yeah. very good right. news for sure. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about this week? I've been sort of. Um, well, we we have some fun things coming up, so we wanted to kind of mention those. Uh, this Saturday we're going to be at PetSmart over in Pace, and we'll be there eleven to two. We've got some puppies that just came in, so we're going to have those cutie patooties at the at the PetSmart with us, so we're hoping they'll get adopted quickly and do not have to return to the shelter. That's the goal. Uh, mm-hmm. The adoption fee is only $25, and that's covering vaccinations that are done, spay and neuter, microtrip, the whole shebang, so it's a good deal. And uh, so we'll be there from 11 till 2. And then we also have the Friends of Santa Rosa Shelter Group that are going to be coming by, I think, about 3, and they're going to be giving out pup cups to our pups here at the shelter. So I think they're doing a fundraiser for that online. So that'll be going on. And then also they're going to do a, a, a training class for people. And now this is something you have to sign up ahead of, ahead of time for, but they will be doing that training class this month here, which is actually this Saturday at the shelter. And so we encourage people to keep an eye on the Friends of Santa Rosa Animal Shelter page because they do a monthly class for the community, and it's free. And they try to tackle different uh, different subjects that are problems. Like I think this one is about dog-reactive dogs how to safely 
be out and about with them where they're not going to, you know, put you in danger, put another pet in danger. So they've always got a good class, and it's it's free. They just offer it to the community. But because of that, space is limited, so you do have to sign up ahead of time. So we're excited for that for the public. And then next week we're going to be, let's see, next week we're going to be at Petco, and then we also have a waived adoption fee event on the 25th and 26th here at the shelter, and that will be for that Friday and Saturday. So we'll probably talk about that next week as well. But then also something we just started this week, uh, we have an auction online. So the Friends of Santa Rosa Shelter is uh, kind of running with this auction. So we've got some great items that were donated, and the bidding starts today at 12, and it concludes next Friday at 8 p.m. So people can go to that page. And you can bid on some of the items, and, you know, highest bidder wins the prize at next Friday at 8 p.m. So we've got some mm. beautiful wreaths on there. We've got a lot of uh, animal merch on there. We've got some actual non-animal items like KitchenAid Blender, Ninja Blender. Uh, we've got a pool, a water filtration. Ninja Blender? So, yes. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think it's some feedback it's, coming from me, actually. I don't know if you've got uh, uh, the phones near where the computer where you're listening or something like that. I, th- I think I hear it sometimes when I'm talking. That's okay. Oh, sorry. I'm in a different good, office today because uh, the front was pretty busy up there, so it could be because of that. Oh, okay. And my favorite person who, who got caught in the video, she's still there? <laughs> <laughs> Miss Vicki, yeah, she's off today, but she's, uh, yeah, okay. she is still here and uh, doing her thing, and we will have to definitely get her get her involved soon. Mm-hmm. Now, because we're actually international, we're heard in, in anywhere from 30 to 50 countries, depending on, on the day, mm-hmm. um, and we're over the United States. Uh, most of our artists, about 85% U.S., 15% international. Um, for other, do you work with other animal shelters, uh, different states? Is there like a cooperative organization? You know, because you guys are doing such a good job, especially being a non-euthanizing, you know, animal shelter now, which is a huge change. And we need to talk about right. that. We should, at least, we should at least mention that every week because when people think of, mm-hmm. think of uh, an animal, animal shelter, the first they think of thing they think of is the pound, you know, and your dog's right. there for 72 hours and they're gone. You know, and that's and not just the case right. anymore, but there are places yeah. that still do that. So how, how are animal shelters, are you guys cooperating? Or do you have interstate, you know, organizations? How do you, what do you, how do you guys talk to each other? Yeah, so there are different um, different groups online, and there are different main organizations like Best Friends, Animal Welfare Society, the Humane Society, things like that, where they okay. try to have people collaborate with each other. And we are always trying to find new partners. Obviously, for us, we don't intake animals from other areas because we are so full here in, in our community. But uh-huh. there are places primarily up north that will intake animals. So we're always looking for new partners that we can work with. Right now we send a lot of our uh, cats to PetSmart here locally, and then we try to work with rescues as as they come up that are able to receive dogs. Generally it's like a breed-specific thing, but uh, when we have an emergency we were able to send dogs out to all different places. Um, We had a hoarding case uh, about a year and a half ago. And they were able to basically connect us with groups from everywhere. So we were able to send dogs all over the place. So, you know, as emergencies arise, uh, shelters do step up and try to help each other. We are unfortunately, say, pretty full. So we we don't get to intake a lot of animals to help other people, but we do what we can when we can. So, Yeah, I was thinking more policies, more ideas, more management strategies, you know, more stuff. And and getting more more places to not be euthanizing uh, shelters, but to be... uh, 
you know, what, I, don't, I guess the expression yeah, is no, no kill. kill. What, what's, the right, right. what's the right way to say so it? In, yeah, so what that means basically the no kill is not doesn't mean no, nothing is euthanized, excuse me, but it just right. basically means that it's done for it's not done for space or just to clear the shelter. It's done only right. if medically necessary or if it's a behavior issue. Like you don't want to put an unsafe dog out in the community that's bit three people and that is going to bite again and maybe potentially harm a child. And so mm-hmm. those um, decisions, you know, based on that made for those reasons are understandable, but just euthanizing because you have 50 dogs coming in that day and you only have 40 kennels, it's a horrible decision to make, and, and that's not something that people are on board with anymore, which is great. So now, um, basically, we're euthanizing not for space, but for, you know, if it's a medical treatment, a medical issue that can't be treated, um, but we treat for pretty much anything. So it's it's something extreme or if the behavior is a, is a danger to someone, animal right. or maybe people, you know, then that's something that's considered, but it's not done just for, for space anymore. And so Best Friends Animal Society has basically kind of been the spearhead of that, and they've gone to shelters all over the country using their money and their education opportunities to help each shelter kind of get on a different track. And that's kind of how we got we got going with it. They came in. They provided us training. They brought in a person to actually help us uh, embed for a year to kind of get us on a different path and try new programs. And all of those things caught on. And shelter staff was was all about it because we don't want to euthanize, you know. And the public were really yeah. very supportive. And our and our our government was completely supportive as well. So they literally put their money where their mouth was and supported supported us getting a vet on staff and things like that. So that's kind of how we changed change the mindset in the area. The main thing now is just continuing that and looking for support from the community because if we don't have a space to take in a dog, we may have to say, hey, we got to wait to take this dog in. So it, it can be difficult because people are used to that instant, hey, take this dog, I don't want it anymore. And so things are different there, and we want to make sure animals are safe, but we don't. We also don't want to euthanize just because we're full. So that's that's what we're still working on, how to still make sure we help everybody that needs help when we don't have space. Okay. So who's uh, who's up on the hip parade this week? Who have we got? Uh, who are, um, who are our okay, featured so, stars? <laughs> yeah, so, to, so for today, um, we just sent a lot of cats to get spayed and neutered. So for kitties, uh, we I haven't got to go up there this morning to see who the kitties are, So, but we've got some cute kitties up there, I know, as of yesterday. So I would uh-huh. encourage anyone to just come by and see who we have. But so I'll kind of talk about a couple dogs. So we have a dog named Diesel, and Diesel is a, he's a Newfie mix, so he's this big fluff ball, but he's a big guy, probably 100 pounds or so. And he's a mix, so he's not as big as they normally would be, but um, he actually came from, uh, the owner had given him away, kind of got tossed around, so he's now here at the shelter. He went into foster for a couple days. They found he likes to kind of be the boss and guard everything, so probably would be better suited as an only pet, but he's not like awful with other animals, but just probably in the home, probably would want to be the only guy. And that could be just probably from the situation he came from, you know, being kind of tossed around a bit. But he's a sweetheart. He's a big, fluffy guy, and he is just very affectionate, loving, loves belly rubs, and he's just a, just a <laughs> The new ones are huge. And what, what did you mix oh, with he's, it? He's so adorable. So we don't know what he's mixed with, but it's it toned down the size a bit. So he's maybe 100 pounds as opposed to, say, 130 okay. or 150. So if you're if you like the Newfie's look but you didn't want something quite so big, he might be perfect. And he's uh, his name is Diesel, and he is just a sweetheart. Now in his kennel, he might give you the side eye. Once you take him out, he's just a love bug. Walks nicely on a leash, especially considering how big he is. He's very well mannered. 
Um, I okay. think he can sit already. And so, yeah, I would encourage people to look him up on our Facebook page or our website and look at his picture. He is adorable, and he's just one of our favorites. And then also we do have um, some seniors. So we do have our senior special for the rest of August. If anybody adopts one of our senior dogs, the adoption fee is waived. And we have, I think, about eight senior dogs, and they are posted on our Facebook page on a on a special a special entry there, but if you come in and you're looking for a senior and you adopt them, the, the fees will be waived, and that's through the end of August. So a senior dog, obviously, is not going to be around as long as a puppy. So uh, this yeah, will be good for people benefits. who like older yeah. dogs, or, or what's, what's the advantage? It's, so for me, I love older dogs. So the advantage, there are some negatives. Yeah, they're not going to be around as long as a young puppy, but also you don't have to train them. They've, they pretty oh, okay. much kind of know how to do everything, and we can't guarantee they're all house-trained, but the, the majority of the older dogs that go home we find are house-trained. So they're not going to be chewing up stuff, ideally. Now, there's always the exception, so we have to throw out that <laughs> yeah. disclaimer. But yeah. for the most part, the, the older dogs are generally going to be easier to walk because they appreciate a good walk. They're not going to be so pulling and pulling so hard because they're like, yeah, walks well, are nice. They're not going to be tearing up your house. They're just happy, mm-hmm. and they're just more laid back. And so it's a good option for a lot of people, and I love older dogs, so just to me that's the way to go. But, you know, we know everybody has their favorite, but we really would tell everybody consider an older dog, especially if you don't want to deal with the puppies, you know, the puppy just tearing up your house, having right. to go potty every two hours. Older dogs don't have to do all that. So, you yeah, know, consider, consider an older dog. Interesting. Yeah, probably a good first dog, too, for people to kind of get used to dogs. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. they really, yeah. they really are beneficial with. And you know, if you're not sure, you can always foster an older dog and see if it's it's your vibe. And if it's not, then you know, hey, you guys, you gave them a break from the shelter for a couple of weeks, so that's something positive as well. Well, pets end up looking like you anyway. So if you get if you're a senior and you get a senior dog, <laughs> you're all gonna have gray hair together. You'll be just fine, you know. I actually exactly. saw a, a guy. I saw a guy with a tufted white hair and a, and, a, and a mushed up, squished up face. The guy was probably in the 70s or 80s, and he had a British bulldog in the front seat with him. I mean, it was hysterical. <laughs> they they kind looked of appropriate. exact. They looked exactly like you know. Um, I see walking a dog. If you have a young, healthy dog, and I've often thought of this, um, is it is it a bad practice or or dangerous in any way to have a, to like walk a dog when you're on a bicycle, for example? So they get to run at a decent speed, and you don't have to. Uh, you're not always hauling the dog back and yanking on their leash and stretching the neck and all those other nasty things that collars mm-hmm. you know seem to do. So is there a way to walk a, a, a fa- other than a dog park? You know, how can you walk a dog that's, that's uh, that can run for you know five miles? Um, well, some of the suggestions with that are sometimes um, if you put a pack on them, that gives them kind of an extra chore because they're going to be like, what's this on my back? And it kind of gives them some extra mental stimulation, which kind of tires them out a little bit. Um, and, you know, put your stuff in there. Put your own water and snacks in there and, like, let them help you, right? But um, and some people, yeah, some people can do the whole bike with a dog thing. Like, I would, that would be terrible for me because I would probably crash and the dog would well, that's the other probably drag too. me. So. Yeah, they had to be super, you know, super agile and and very coordinated, yeah, Yeah, to do that. So I don't, you know, for for most of us, that's probably going to be a disaster. So, but you know, just exercising your dog, you know, taking them for walks, and if they're an active dog, you know, tiring them out helps you too when you're in the house because they're going to be better behaved. So, you know, uh, a lot of people who have labs like the the Nerf guns, they'll shoot the balls and stuff, and those are, you know, they go and chase those (laughs) tennis balls and just 
back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But if it tires the dog out, it's going to make them better behaved in the home. So exercise is super, super important, even though sometimes it can be a little annoying because your dog has more energy than you, but the more you exercise them and get them good and calm, the better they're going to be in the home for you. So we always, you know, if somebody calls us like, hey, I got this dog, you know, and he's being so destructive in the house. Well, have you, do you walk him? Well, no, I let him out in the yard. No, that's not going to cut it. You've got to give them some some specific activity to to wear them out. Letting them out in the yard is great, but a lot of times they just stand there when really they need to be running and so you right. don't have to get interactive with them to get them going, but it'll it'll help the whole family if the dog is properly exercised. So we we encourage that strongly, make sure your dog is exercised, even, you know, not just putting them in the yard, but you engage with them to get them running and that helps everybody in the home. Well, I see these beautiful young dogs. They're healthy. They want to run. And the owners are like either not necessarily older, but they're, they're just walking. They're walking at, you know, human pace. And dogs have mm-hmm. four legs. They can bound, you know, 15 feet, <laughs> whatever it is, in a, in, a, right. in a jump. You know, so it's a totally different animal. And this is why I was thinking, especially if there's a place, uh, like I ride the Blackwater Trail on bikes a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I see a bunch of people walking dogs on it. Uh, every once in a while I see someone with a bicycle or they have like the dog pulling a wagon with the kids in the back. That always struck me as amazing mm-hmm. too. Um, but I'm just thinking it seems to make more sense, especially if you can, I don't, I don't know if they can go off leash there, but if you, can, if you have a dog well enough trained that you can go off leash, leash and ride with a bicycle on a trail that's guarded like that it seems to me a reasonably safe thing to do unless other dogs come but that could be a problem anyway you know so yeah uh, yeah um that's the thing you have to worry about other dogs so um, i'm not sure what the rules are there i know for as a whole um if there if it's a leash all area you're supposed to be you know supposed to have your dog on leash but there are Mm -hmm. the long leads i think they're 25 foot leads so if you have a dog that's really well behaved you can get a super long lead. That way you still technically have him on lead, but he gives, you know, he's got a lot more room to go with that. Um, and there's, I know you can take him to the dog parks and you can run around there, but you do have to obviously be be aware that other dogs may, with their version of well-behaved, it may not be the same as what your dog's <laughs> version is. So yeah, just kind of keep that in mind. School, the bullies, you know, all the other stuff there. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> all right. Do we have uh, other dogs we should be talking about of, of our hit parade for this week? Oh, yeah, so I talked about Diesel. We talked about the puppies that are coming up for adoption. They came in, and so we're going to have we're going to have those guys at PetSmart tomorrow. So there's five, I think, and if they don't get adopted today, they'll all five be there at PetSmart, and they're, like, probably going to be medium-sized dogs. Uh, let's see who the other special dog was that we wanted to talk about. Um, one, two, three. I'm kind of thinking in my head. Okay, so um, we have Easter. Easter is a... Bully mix, a senior, very high energy. Um, uh, well, it's not necessarily a pit bull. Something like of pit the bull. bulldog breed, yeah. So right, okay. pit bull, it could be bull, some sort of bully because pit bull is just such a catch-all, and it's like we don't know exactly That's what the why dog's I ID yeah, is. It, yeah. So some bulldog okay, in right. there, but it could be American. It can be pity. We don't know. It's just a mix of whatever. And, and technically, the dog is probably a mixed breed of a hundred million things if we did mm-hmm. DNA. So, um, but she's an older girl, but very energetic and loves to walk she gets so crazy like you know ready to go out of the out of the kennel so it's hard to leash her up because she's so excited to get out of the kennel even in the heat she just wants to go outside and run around and once she gets out of her system then she's actually so easy to bring back in in comparison but she's a senior girl we've got some really nice pictures of her online so we'd encourage people to check her out and she's one of the dogs that's on our waived fee features Uh and she's just a nice dog so if you want an older dog that's not going to really tear up your house but you still like her a hiker or something she'd probably be a good fit for you because she still has a lot of boundless energy even though she's older but 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 
she's I'm older. I have boundless energy. Exactly. I started a career so, at 57, yes. you know, so, that's, you know. That's because we have senior dogs. They still have a lot right. of life left in them. So I don't yeah. want people to think that it's, the dog's got to stay on the couch and be pampered, although they might enjoy that. But we have lots of dogs of various activity levels for every different person. And um, I do want to mention one more dog that sure. is – He's not a we have a whole hour today, bit. so we, we can, oh, okay. We can so we yeah, yeah, we we can fun. always fill it out, fill it up with more dogs. So we have a dog named Dill Pickle, and so this fellow, <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So his original name. So he has a little bit of a of, of a of a story. So he he was here originally. His name was Billy Joel, and um, he was here for a while. Didn't get adopted. So we at the time we had a, a partnership. So with you renamed it Dill Pickle. Well, they did, because when they go to a different environment, sometimes they like to start with a new name. So Pittsburgh Humane oh. Society changed his name to Dill Pickle, and when they kind of shut down, he came back to us, and Dill Pickle just was kind of cute, so we left the name. And so he's up for adoption. He's been here for a while now, for a few months. He doesn't uh-huh. do well with doesn't play well with others, so that's his problem, Uh-oh. so he's going to have to be the only pet. But he is... He actually does great when he, he's been been on doggy day outs, and he's been super well behaved. When our volunteers take him out, um, I don't know if you're familiar with these big, I don't know what they're called. Generally, they're for horses. There's like these big, like blue, it's like a blue hand thing, and the, the horse will knock it around. Well, somebody brought him one of those, and he just loves it. So that is his favorite toy, and he will just knock that thing around the yard for hours. I have no idea what hours. you're talking about. Yeah, it's, so it's basically picture. like a, and it, I can't, I don't know if they have a, it's a, it's a big giant ball, and the one he has here is blue, <laughs> and it's really it's, hard. It's like a horse very beach hard ball or surface. something. It's, it's something to do. The horses play with them, so I don't know what they're called. Really? And I feel dumb for not knowing it. Yeah, but so we Where's they're Candace really big and tough, and yeah. Okay. So, but they're really this big. They're they're huge, and then like you put them out there, and the tough dogs that just like tear stuff up, really can't tear this thing up. So he loves it, and he will push that thing around in the yard and just play with it forever as long as he's out there. And he's just adorable, and he's just, a, you know, he's a plain Jane dog. He's, he's black with white markings. He's a handsome guy, but he just Looks like gets a no interest here. He's oh. just, he gets passed over here at the shelter. So even though, you know, yeah, he's going to have to be the only pet, but he will bring someone so much a, just enjoyment. No, he's going to make a video. And, Put a yeah. video on He'll Facebook with playing with this yeah. blue ball thing. Maybe that's not the way to say it, but you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Sorry. but he's a hoot. I mean, he's a fun dog, and I think somebody would just, oh, somebody would make have a great pet if they just gave him a chance. But, you know, it, it can be limiting. Some of our guys and girls can't mm-hmm. be with other pets, so it can be tough to find that right home because a lot of people who are looking for pets already have a pet. So that's one of the mm-hmm. things we do run into. But also sometimes in the shelter they do terrible here, and we find out later that they, they're doing well with another pet. But we always just yeah, – we're transparent with what we know here. Yeah. yeah. So we always yeah. are very transparent, like, hey, look, when we, we check this dog out with other dogs here, he did terrible. Or, hey, this dog did wonderful. Well, and I we think, just give that disclaimer so they know. I think you need to, to take lessons from the dating sites, you know, have videos. Hi, my name is <laughs> Dill Pickle. You know, my turn-ons are sunsets, walks on the beach, and big blue, you know, beach balls. <laughs> Yeah, she's that as the model, right? Okay, so he just imagines now, and just oh, we have a nice narrator, and now I'd like to present mm-hmm. Dill Pickle, our dog of the week. 
you know, yeah, if you that's a match, true. you know, if you like, you know, dogs playing with large <laughs> objects, you know, I mean, I mean, do it like, 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 say, seriously, like a dating site. I mean, it, 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 I think it'd be hysterical. First of all, I'd love to oh, see yeah. those on my Facebook page. That's the first thing. Second thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, you should put them on your page. But yeah, well, that would be great. Because you know, that would be a conversation starter. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah, dog. that's a great you idea. Know? Or you yeah, have like the greatest, la- yeah. world's greatest lap dog. And here we have the world's greatest lap dog. Notice the, the gentle way the dog sits. The Yorkie sits <laughs> gently on the, the left knee of the, of the owner. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can have fun with this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we we have some we have some animals with some fantastic personalities. So, and a lot of times mm-hmm. you just don't know until you get to spend some one on one time with them. You know, you'll see a dog and you're like, oh, he's cute or whatever. And then the mm-hmm. girls are in. I say girls because we don't have any males in our kennel staff, so I'm not being you know sexist or anything. We only have females mm-hmm. that are in the kennel, well, they so the they're taking too. dogs out. Uh, except for you, mm-hmm. all, all the women there look the same. It's just, remember <laughs> we had like three three blonde women that I, I kept mistaking oh, yes, for the yes. same person. That was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, we do have a lot of blondes here. So you know, but like we have, we have a, a lot of ladies that work here, and yep. we're you know we encourage men Why to apply that? for jobs as well. Um, How come? I think if I were to guess, it would be the caretaker thing. I think that okay, women women with a caretaker vibe, and you you know, it's not to say that we don't have males in the animal welfare well, the industry, boss, but it's it, it, it's a show. lot less. Your manager, you know, the manager's a dude. Yeah, yeah, we have and we have some animal control officers that are males. So we have a few males that work here, but primarily it's women. And you know, we we always say we could use more male staff because it helps the animals because they're they're catered to and taken care of by all women here. So sometimes when a man comes in to to try to adopt a dog, if the dog has had a bad experience, say before he got here with men, he's going to be like, oh, men are bad. But if we have staff that are male but they have positive experiences with while they're here then it helps so okay guys aren't so bad so if they get adopted and they're not going to be scared of the man so we do see that fairly often or you'll see a man with a hat come through and the dogs react and so it's just you kind of wonder okay they had a bad experience so we try to make sure you know our staff members um, that are males will try to go the extra mile to try to, you know, hey, it's okay. So you'll see our officers running through, giving out treats uh, throughout the afternoons when they make it back in. And then, you know, and that's, that way the dogs have a positive experience with other people besides just the blue scrubs. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I was thinking like elementary schools have mostly women teachers, you know, and of course the boys mm-hmm. need role models. Uh, does it, now, does that exactly. make a difference in that if you have only women working with the dogs uh, and they go to a male owner, does that, is there a dynamic, that, is it more of an adjustment for the animals? I mean, I don't, I think they can adjust fine once they get there, but I think their initial reaction, reaction sometimes may be a little more fearful if they're not used to that. But I think as a okay. whole, once they get into a home environment, if that's a good owner, then they're going to, they're going to adjust fine. Now, if they had years of an issue, say mm-hmm. if they came from like a, an abusive environment, same as with people, and, you know, right. all they saw was this big scary man who beat them all the time, then, yeah, they may be more fearful as a right. whole. But if it's just a but dog that would be that's anyway. been, be exactly. So, but if yeah. it's just they're used to us mm-hmm. and they go to a home environment, basically our dogs are like, hey, as long as you take care of me and yeah. treat me well, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you look like, it's all good. Yeah, especially when all the women look the same, then uh, the dogs don't care. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's you again. Well, if you feed them, yeah, if, you, or if you're feeding um, them maybe. and give them attention, I, I don't think they really care. You can have purple hair, you can be tall, short, whatever. They don't care. They don't care, yeah. Fianchi, you want to join the conversation? Yeah, maybe Congress could give 
a stipend, maybe a thousand dollars a month for every citizen that adopts a pet. Oh, oh you, want to write, you want to write a bill on that? Tara, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, oh, I think well, we always joke about that if you could claim your dogs on your taxes because, you know, people, animal people spend a lot of money on their pets. Then you have the yeah. opposite where people don't do what they're supposed to at all, but the people who care for them are generally spending a lot of money on their pets. So, yeah, it would be awesome if there was some sort of some sort of credit you could get for that. I think it might make people be- better pet owners, but I'm sure it's not high on the list. When I found out that, uh, and uh, I forgot who uh, the manager's name again, but I had to drag it out of him that uh, your budget's like a million dollars a year, and and that's public information. It's not like I'm saying anything, uh, you know, out of turn here. That's a lot of money, and I don't think people realize how much it costs to take care of the animals in a county. So oh, if yeah. you could, if you could, if the county could offer or the state could offer, I don't think federal because this 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 sounds like a, a county or a state or a city thing mm-hmm. could offer a deduction, a pet adoption de- deduction. You know, mm-hmm. so that you get your animals moved out faster to homes, you know, especially for people that are low income, but would be great owners, but they just can't afford the expense of a pet. You know, right. I'm sure there's lots of people, you know, this is not a bad idea. I mean, I think he might have been joking when he said it. I don't know. I'll ask him. Uh, he's still here. I'll ask him in a second. But I don't think mm-hmm. that's uh, that's something you, know, you guys would actually, that'd be a good chance for you to start writing legislation. Think about it. Oh, think about yeah, writing a, yeah. some kind of deduction bill, uh, like a $500 tax deduction or, you know, or for something or, or credit. It'd probably be a credit is better because the, the money's mm-hmm. correct. So whatever the cost of um, the adoption plus the, any of the vet bills, food for, I don't know, a year, you know, work, mm-hmm. out, work out what it would cost, you know, for, for the average dog and then propose that as a deduction, you know, because that way, because that's money that you guys don't have to spend uh, and the owner's going to take over that expense after that anyway, at least we hope so. Right. Um, it might encourage for adoptions for, for really good owners who just don't have money because pets are expensive, yeah. like you said. Yeah, it's not they a bad definitely idea. are. Yeah, okay. that's, that is a good idea. That's, yeah. Okay, write it down. Make and, it uh, <laughs> while we <laughs> add it, we can write a bill. Your bill. Write a bill. Your bill <laughs> we can write a bill that go for kids, too, because you got kids that stay in orphan homes their entire childhood until they're adults. Well, how does that work? I don't know how adoptions work. We've never done a show on adoptions. We should. Uh, it just hasn't really come up, but uh, it's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, but I don't want people just making money off this. Like the foster care system is notorious for having really horrible parents that just like the check. So the mm-hmm. kids are abused. They end up being trafficked. You know, really bad things happen um, to kids that are uh, that are, are in foster care. And there's some great foster parents too. So obviously we can't generalize, mm-hmm. but... There's some, and I wouldn't want to see uh, pet people doing it just for the deduction yeah, either. So saying, gotta, yeah, you probably want to make to, it minimal to where it's helpful, but it's not going right. to be like a huge it's, – it's going to help, but it's not going to be like a reason to And it should be a one-time thing or once every yeah. five years or something like that so that you can't make money off it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I know I know one of the reasons consider. that yeah, one of the reasons that we do have our adoption fee so low is for that reason. So we kind of look at it like, okay, do we want the dog to sit here and wait and wait and wait or do we want right. to try to facilitate quicker adoption so our fees are super low, they don't come close to covering the medical that we do while they're here, but that mm-hmm. helps the owner hopefully instead of investing, you know, a high amount to adopt them. It's just a super cheap amount. They pay that, and then whatever they are going to spend on the dog, 
or can't, they can use that to establish themselves as a vet, get flea prevention, heartworm prevention, and get them further along because those mm-hmm. things can be expensive. So that's why we try to do the testing while they're here, get everything knocked out, and the adoption fee is super low. That way when they take them home, it's like, hey, all this is already done. You're good for a whole year on their mm-hmm. vaccinations. So hopefully then you know, okay, next year I'm going to need to spend a couple hundred dollars to get some current. Let me go ahead and put a little bit aside every month so it's not this huge daunting task. Right. And then you're ready for it when it comes. And then, of course, accidents and sickness and things like that happen. But, you know, actually they have pet insurance now too, which is What's actually that? pretty reasonable. Um, So you can get your pet insured, same for like, um, so if they say, I think, it starts out pretty the cheaper the the younger the animal is the cheaper it is but say for example 20 bucks a month for your dog and then if he ends up, oh twisting his leg or something you go to the vet and they reimburse you for those costs if your dog like had oh. to have surgery or something you're just paying a co-pay fee or a deductible or something like that and then the insurance would cover the rest of it so it can be huh. helpful um, if you, you know, are in a position to do that. Some people have uh, multiple dogs. That's not really something they can do. But a lot of people have had good results with that. So that way if something something happens later or the dog gets sick and you're going to normally would spend two or 3000 then that insurance kicks in and then it's, you know, manageable. You just pay the deductible. Yeah, we just heard uh, Bianca in the previous hour was talking about this. Uh, she said $500. I've heard as low as $400 that most Americans can't handle a $400 emergency. They just everybody's exactly. stretched so thin right now because of the economy. Exactly. So yeah, $2,000 in pet expense. That's that's pretty major. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, uh, and that's that's yeah. one of the things. Another thing is like spay and neuter. Uh-huh. The cost has gone up so dramatically. So we we How much I was is looking it? at some. Did you privately? Well, it. That it's it's varies, but it can be from three hundred up to like a thousand bucks, depending on where you go. I personally don't have a thousand dollars to go do that myself. Like I have money in savings for an emergency, but that would prohibit me from adopting a pet. So that's why you know it's just really important to have options out there. So when we adopt something else, already spayed and neutered, that way that's a cost people don't have to incur. And yeah, like like five hundred dollars. Yeah, every month, uh, if something ha- you know, you budget your money, you budget, mm-hmm. you put a little in savings, but I don't know, like, it's really tough right now for people. So, you know, even for people who are pet owners who are good pet owners, if something happens and that animal goes to the vet and it's something, anything, you know, they twisted their leg, it's got to have x-rays. Yeah, they're not getting out of there under four or 500 bucks, and that's a that's a major expense. Yeah, if they have kids, it gets even more complicated. Exactly. Imagine if you had a kid that went to the doctor and he had to have medication, and then your dog got hurt. It's like those things, yeah, definitely add up. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it would work the same way. Something I thought of is, uh, you know, just like we have school choice, we should have health, you know, choice. So, mm-hmm. you know, the money that would go to all the, the taxes and the health departments and things like that goes to people, and you get a credit. You know, either you get a, a, a direct um, – you know, same thing. Well, like the, the education taxes would go to people so they could choose the mm-hmm. school. I don't know how you do it with health. It'd be a little different. But you could just make health expenses uh, be credits. And so that yeah. uh, up to, you know, and uh, you could even do it by income. After a certain point, you, know, you can afford the, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh could afford, you afford all the medical pay. bills. Yeah. You didn't <laughs> health insurance, yeah. Uh, but yeah. For, for most folks, you know, there's no reason. And you could even extend it to pets. And, you know, pets are mm-hmm. part of the family. You know, for people, I mean, they, you know, they they really take care of their pets, um, and so it's, it'd be interesting to do, especially as many pets as out there. Um, do you remember the husky thing we talked about, where the guys were selling them out of the back of their car? Did that yeah. ever 
Did you ever hear further on I that? I never or? heard back from our officers. Um, I will follow up on that for you. Yeah, okay, I, I did good. not hear back, and I forgot to follow up with her to find yeah. out what they found out. So, so I will follow up on that. Okay, to let folks know what happened, I was uh, working on a Sunday, and I drove by this uh, these two guys uh, that were selling. They had a sign, excuse me, and they were selling young husky puppies right out of the back of their SUV. And I thought at first it was part of uh, a Petco thing because they were they were you know in, not really in front of, but you know in line with a Petco. And then I thought, wait a minute, mm-hmm. they're too far away from it. They'd be up there under the doorway, and they were right by the right. access road. And so they had uh, a blue SUV, and they had a bunch of huskies in cages, little puppies. They were, they were young. They weren't really walking much yet. And they were literally holding them in car windows as people were driving yeah. by. And I said, A, this is disgusting. B, this can't be legal. C, right. why, aren't the, why isn't the county sheriff here? So I called the county sheriff. And uh, then I called you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and we, we connected a little bit later. But um, there had to be some kind of report because I called it in, gave my name and everything. Um, yeah. So first of all, is if someone sees something like that, that can't be legal. What's 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 the story? Yeah. On that? So so absolutely, if you see something like that, feel free to call it in. So with okay. puppies, if they are being sold, they have to be at least eight weeks old, and they are legally supposed to have a health certificate, which you have to obtain at your vet's office. And that's one way that you can immediately, if you're looking to purchase a puppy, you know, or adopt or whatever, if they're selling them out of a vehicle, chances are, like you said, it's 99% going to be, like, we can pretty much say with most certainty that, it's, that mm-hmm. they're not <laughs> they're not being cared for properly. You're, mm-hmm. um, they don't have health certificates because otherwise they're going to be doing it in a, in a more professional manner. So, you know, no health certificate, that means they've probably never been vetted. They've probably not had any vaccinations, more than likely. Mm-hmm. And they may not even be old enough to legally be sold. So the reason that health certificate um, is a requirement by law is to protect you as a as a new pet owner that this animal has yes been seen by the vet. The vet did not see anything concerning no communicable no contagious diseases on these animals that he's aware of. Um, and yep. they go through and they check everything off. And so that's why it's important um, to have that if you're purchasing if you are going to purchase a pet. That's something really to look at. And I'm not saying that all breeders are bad or anything, but that type of breeder is a backyard breeder. They're just looking to flip puppies to make money. And mm-hmm. if you're purchasing that puppy, even though it's cute and you see it and you want to help it, you're just helping them to put money in their pocket. So um, just think about that. You know, that's they prey on people's emotions a lot of times. Like, oh, look at this cute puppy. Oh, yeah, um, right here. Know. Buy this puppy right now. And, of course, the kid's in the backseat going, I want a puppy. Yeah, no, exactly. But it should be. it shouldn't be a – Getting a puppy should not be, you know, it, of course it's going to be an emotional experience, but you want to have a set plan. It should you be a talk spontaneous it over family. emotional experience. Yeah, exactly it, it, you should make sure it. that it's something you think about and you're yeah. ready for, and definitely don't get them from a backyard breeder if you can help it because this you is don't a know the history of the animal. Breeder. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, yeah, but yeah my first that's thought, a whole honestly, other thing. So, But, yeah, yeah definitely but, uh, they should have – Legally, they should have a health certificate, so chances are um, they probably didn't have those at all. So if you would have purchased one of those puppies, you're, it's a luck of the draw if they've even had any vaccinations at all, if they're old enough. And pulling puppies away from their parents before a certain age is not good for their their socialization and right. things like that. So, and for, But they need their mom's milk. They'll have trust issues you know, like we all do. Um, Exactly. Well, if you pull a puppy away at five yeah. weeks old, they don't know. Yep. The mom is teaching them how to behave. They're right. socializing with the other puppies, so it's a terrible thing to do. So, yeah, definitely a no-go. If you if you see that, call it, call it in. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. My thought was, quite honestly, um, when I saw there were two Hispanic gentlemen, uh, was that they were part of Brandon's Illegals. And I don't know if that's been a problem yet, but uh, we do know that illegals are, are flooding the country to the tune of 15 plus million. And wow. that means they're going to everybody's town. Everybody's going to have a share. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're all going to take part in this. And I don't know what the practices are in other countries as far as selling pets. This might be a common thing to do in Honduras. I have no idea. I know it's not something you hear. It's like I say, it struck me as wrong. But well, are, are, it, you, it, are you are you it noticing? It actually is kind of common, but in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So, so that's my next question is if we can enforce this now, we want to discourage this kind of stuff because we don't want people coming, you know, walking across the border into our country uh, who have no concept of what it means to live here suddenly doing things like selling, you know, husky puppies out of the back of an SUV. That's just wrong. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't think that it, I don't think it's a matter of maybe people doing it in a different country because we see it all the time, and these are people who are probably three okay, generations so period. Right. So so I don't think it's yeah. it's specific to that. But like you said, maybe these people if they come in and they don't know, no they need to be educated. This is not this is not something that's legal here, so don't do this. Yeah. Um that might like you said, it could be something that's done on the regular there. But but it's done mm-hmm. here illegally also all the time. So really? that's just something yeah. we want to educate everybody, like, hey, this is not good for you as a pet owner because you don't know what you're getting and they've had no vet care. So if you are going to buy from a breeder, mm-hmm. we're not saying don't ever buy from a breeder. That's a, that's a personal decision. But right. we always encourage people to check with shelters first. There's so many animals that don't have homes. If you mm-hmm. want a specific breed, there are rescues. Check with the rescues. Yeah, got the rescues. Yeah, the purebred rescues <laughs> all over the place. And huskies, Do they call husky you? rescues. Do they um, say, hey, you got a husky? We need a husky today. Um, you, you, if we have one, we they need a corgi. generally sometimes the corgi, we'll see it the on our website, anyway, uh, and they'll be like, hey, you have a husky. You know, we have a spot for it. So, yeah, we can, We will work with the rescues if we can, um, okay. if we have a breed that comes in. The reason why is because they can be more specific about who adopts it, whereas right. we are more have open adoptions. So, But, yeah. yeah, and they do have puppies even at the husky rescue. They have puppies all the time, so that's. So I would encourage people, you know, if if you're just looking for a specific dog, you can still find them in a shelter or rescue, even if it's a purebred. So the whole, oh, we have to go to a breeder because it's a purebred. No, you can find them other places too. So we just encourage people to check out shelters first, rescues. Get the mutts. And if you, yeah, and mutts are awesome. But if you mutts are, are cool. set on a certain breed, I'm a do mutt. your research. Make sure that breeder is <laughs> legit and doing what they're supposed to do so that you have an animal that's healthy. Yeah, I just think if we had like haggling over different breeds, like what do you got? You got a, you got a husky? I got a, I got a corgi. You got the car to tell you a corgi got a husky. Well, the guys, I'm gonna be laughing. Okay, what else do you got? <laughs> Don't mind me. We've had a we little bit of everything here at the shelter. So. <laughs> we need a rabbi on the show too. That'd be another good thing to get. We got about three or four minutes left, and then uh, uh, Brianna Latipo is going to join us. Now, if you got time, you're welcome to stick around. Pianki too. I want to talk to her myself for a while, but uh, this is going to be a fascinating uh, interview. So we got just a few minutes. It looks like I'll be playing all my commercials at the end of the show today, which is fine. It's Friday. I don't care. But um, this, she's going to be uh, a very interesting guest. Um, she's the wife of uh, Dr. Joseph Latipo, who's our Surgeon General here in Florida. Um, and oh, she's okay. an author and very interesting person. So, yeah, hang around. You never know who's going to show up here. I mean, this is a very special Friday. That's why I started the show late today, so I could get her on because she's busy. Oh yeah, and, exciting. Uh, that sounds like a so, sounds like a very interesting uh, uh, interesting topic for sure. Well, my first hour is interesting too. Uh, Bianca von Krieg has been on before too. She's a progressive socialist from San Francisco mm-hmm. on a you know a wildly conservative, actually far more than conservative radio talk show, and uh-huh. we have a lot of a lot of things to discuss. You know, and the fact that we do have so many things, uh, we have common goals, but completely mm-hmm. different ways of getting there. 
you know, so, uh, and that's why I like having her on. So it's quite interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, any, any other things we've got? Uh, what else is happening at the shelter? I think we've gotten pretty much everything. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. He's trying to keep everybody cool until we can get over this brutal summer and um, mm-hmm. hopefully to slide into the fall with a little bit of relief for the animals and maybe people will be more inclined to come in because, you know, some people don't want to get out in the heat if they don't have to, which I don't blame them. It's 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 pretty it's pretty tiring and it makes you tired. You just want to get inside into mm-hmm. the AC. So we're just trying to get through. And then we've got some Go great um, adoption events coming up in the fall, too. Mm-hmm. So once we get through the summer, I think it'll be a little more enjoyable for everybody, especially the pets. Walk your dog at sunrise or sunset. <laughs> That's right. You Start know. early in the morning and you'll feel good because you exercised. And, well, and then maybe after dinner. Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. we'll go bike ride at sunrise, and it's the best time. Nobody's around. <laughs> you know? and, yeah, and it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's, and you can it's watch beautiful. The sun and it can be Yeah, about 15 minutes experience. before sunrise. Yeah, so look at your yeah. look at your clock. So sunrise is now. Let's get the time here real quick. It is, what time is the sun? When is the sun rising today? The days are getting shorter, by the way, which is good. Well, I don't have mm-hmm. to have tomorrow. So tomorrow's sunrise is, oh, that's sunset, 727 night. Sunrise is 617. Okay, I was so going to say it's, like it's actually about we've lost half an hour. It used to be five forty-five is when the sun got up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm noticing when because I leave the house, it's it's starting to be a little darker because I leave the house at like five forty-five a.m. Yeah, or yeah. so to, to get to work, and it's like you can tell it's like oh, it's starting to get a little darker. Just Walk slightly. your dog at six. Be at work by eight. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You've exercised. You've knocked that out for the day. Your dog feels uh-huh. good, and everybody's happy. You feel good. Everybody's happy. Exactly. Let's get That's your contact right. information one more time, and if uh, Brianna calls, I'll go right to her call. If not, I'll play something that I have supposed to play hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Santa Rosa Animal Services, we're at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. Phone number is 850-983-4680. Or you can go to our website, santarosa.fl.gov slash animals, or come on by directly and visit us. And we'll be at PetSmart tomorrow, 11 till 2. Sounds good. All right. Let me play some stuff. And uh, we'll be back with uh, Brianna Latipo um, in just a little bit. Like I say, you're welcome to hang on the line or call in or whatever you want to do. Thank you, Tara, okay. for coming later this week. I appreciate it. We'll be back Absolutely. Right no problem. Week. All right. Thanks oh, there for having she is us. Now. In that case, I'm not going to play anything. I'm going to go right to my guest. <laughs> So let me uh, get my my, uh, my my guest presentation up here. All right. So yeah, uh, we So thank you, Tara. There we go. So all our right, guest of the di- all right. Take care. Our guest of the day is Brianna Latipo. Hopefully, I pronounced that right. <laughs> let me get you the the official bio bio here. Brianna Latipo is an intuitive spiritual healer, movement therapist, and teacher. She's a master's degree in English from Harvard University and has studied traditional uh, naturopathy, plant and herbal medicine, and shamanism. She lives in Florida with her husband and three boys, where she works with nonprofit organizations to heal trafficked and exploited children. And I actually finished on time with the music this time. That was pretty good. Brianna, welcome to the show. (laughs) Hi, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's get your round of applause. Whoop, try it again. Hit the button, Greg. There we go. This has been a crazy day already, and so it's been uh, lots of fun. We had uh, my progressive socialist friend, um, who's an actor from, uh, from the left coast. Uh, we just did an hour of animal shelter stuff because we had the time. And so now we have you, and I'm really glad to get you on because we've been taking, what, two or three months to get you on the show? It's been a while. Yes, I know. It's been a little bit crazy lately, but I'm so happy to be here. 
Yeah. Well, we have uh, some interesting things uh, in common. First of all, our crazy childhoods, which we'll get to, but also your book uh, from Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, Tony Lyons was on, your publisher. Um, we had uh, Christina yeah. Bob, who has a book on uh, from Skyhorse Publishing. We've got my, my big goal is to get a debate with Alan Dershowitz, who also has a book on Skyhorse Publishing. I'm hoping to write my next book, you know, for Skyhorse Publishing. So it's like, we're all a big happy family. We're all, we're all, this is like the most uh, interesting uh, publisher out there that is doing all the things that, that uh, nobody else wants to do because, you know, they want to prove your commercial worth. I mean, you know, Simon on spot as uh, Rush Limbaugh used to say, um, they're not going to pick, pick my book out or some of these other folks. So how'd you end up there? And then we'll, we'll talk uh, about everything. No, no particular order today. So, and feel free to bring up uh, stuff on your own. I don't want to uh, limit Skyhorse, tell me about them. What do you think? Thank you. So, you know, that, I have to call it divine intervention. So my okay. husband had written his book. Um, I'm not sure if you've read it. It's called Transcending Fear. And he talks in that book a lot about uh, our relationship and our journey and how uh-huh. us doing a lot of work to transmute our own trauma really informed him ending up in the position of Surgeon General. And huh. through those conversations, um, I actually got to meet Tony, Tony Lyons. Okay. And um, first, I just want to stop and say for a moment that uh, you already know that he's wonderful. You've had him on the show. Oh, yeah. But we have I am in. I really admire so much what he's doing, and sometimes I don't think even he realizes the great importance of his courage. He's really giving a voice to those mm-hmm. who would be voiceless under under the mainstream administration or whatever you'd like to call it. And, well, censorship uh, of uh, new ideas. You know, if you if you have a new yeah. idea, if you do something different, um, I had to find a little publisher in my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, which I'm hoping for a massive renaissance as the world of aviation is about to explode. There's some really great things happening in aviation, which will open it up to uh, a bunch of folks. So you have to start taking flying lessons. We'll, we'll talk about that, too. Um, but I used to teach flying. Great. And so I'm hoping that uh, really? there'll be – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a weird background. It's all over the place. I always wanted to fly airplanes. So I'll be back doing that. Once the show takes off, um, I'm buying my jet, and I'm going to hang upside down over Pensacola Beach and just go really fast. <clears throat> That's how I'm going to be spending my, yeah. my, my off time. But, but someone well, like Tony. Stop by St. and pick us up. I want to go. I, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, do, I'll give you a jet lesson. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be funny. We'll take turns. I'll probably have a two-seater, so, so you and uh, uh, Joseph will have to take your turns, and then you can compare notes about your jet lessons. <laughs> That would be fun. But yeah, but well, now actually, it, it makes a lot of sense for you to fly. Um, and I'll tell you why. We're, like I say, my topics. Uh, the reason I haven't read any of your books is because I'm so ADHD, I can't get past the first page. I, my mind has already gone 15 different topics before I even get through the third paragraph. So I have a really tough time reading. <laughs> this is why I talk to people. So you can tell me your book, but I can't read it because I'll be, I'll be asleep like, by page three. I just, you know, it's nothing to do with your book. It's just me. I just, I have the attention span no, of that. No, no worries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But here's what's interesting, though. I used though, to devour as... six or seven books a week, but uh, How? How do you do that? Mother, How? I have, oh, you know, I, just, you I would put them away like food. I just, I love words, and um, really? I feel like I'm not even reading. I'm just absorbing the, the words and the energy and the meaning and the intention, and it was always such a beautiful experience for me. And then oh. I had children. <laughs> I lost all ability <laughs> to focus on anything. <laughs> well, that is a multitasking yeah, operation. I love you got my three, three boys, right? Yeah, and they're, they're three boys. Active. Yeah. Can, we, can oh you tell me their goodness. ages? Yeah. Is that is that is that legal? Sure. Yeah, right. we have a 
a freshly minted 10-year-old as of last week. And then okay. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old who's going on 60 and likes to lecture adults on their morality. It's hysterical. Oh, he's a smart one? Yeah, the four, it's, it's weird with the oh. baby in the family. The four-year-old's a smart one. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> But uh, that's now that's interesting. But that'll, that'll keep you busy. All of a sudden, you know, someone uh, I believe as focused as you are, and I, th- I think we both share a lot of uh, the empath qualities. Um, just a guess, because that's the only way you, you can grow up in in a totally dysfunctional environment. There's only two ways to go: you become dysfunctional yourself and take it out on the next generation, as my folks did, or you become a total empath, reject everything, and totally change how you treat your own kids, which is what you did, Absolutely. and I did. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think of that? Um, I have come, well, I have a different opinion now than I did when I was young. Um, okay. When I was growing up, in fact, this is a, the first paragraph of my book. <laughs> I was quite no, convinced that somebody had read their tea leaves wrong and I was on the wrong planet in the wrong family. <laughs> and that just, yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I agree with you. I was in the wrong century. You know, I should have been a musketeer. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely in the wrong place. Well. Yeah. A, a place of it honor and so chivalry and, and decency and yeah, but no, it didn't exist. Didn't work that way. Yeah. No, and and that's that's really tough, especially for a naturally empathic child. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you can relate very strongly to all of oh, this. Yeah. Oh yeah, I used to lay outside under the stars, and especially after I saw ET, I would pray for somebody to come pick me up because I was oh, sure they no. had just left me behind accidentally. <laughs> No, I understand that. Listen, I'd look at cloud shapes and, you know, just imagine flying with them. And uh, that's why I always liked aviation. I feel very much at home above the ground. You know, this, this is a crazy world down here. It doesn't make any sense to me. Airplanes make sense. You know, you pull the stick back, you, the nose goes up. You push the stick forward, the nose goes down. It's a very, very um, intuitive world, which is what I was getting into with empath. If you're an empath, I think empaths make some of the best pilots because you – you don't just follow the procedures. You actually you bond with the airplane. <laughs> you know, it's almost like a spiritual experience. And if you drive That's a sports so car, it's the same funny. kind of thing. Tell me, what do you think? I was just have I, tell have you. I struck I've, a nerve? I've never flown a plane. Hmm? Yes. Okay. Well, um, when, but now so you when want I was to, in right? my early 20s, now you I do. Want to. I do. Okay. <laughs> I'd be up there right. in a heartbeat. Okay, so go for it. I was in my it. early 20s, and um, mm-hmm. I had a business, and the first big thing I ever bought myself, or really the only big thing, is I really wanted a sports car. And um, I went to the dealership, mm-hmm. and I was proud of myself because it was—I had finally gotten away from my family. I had started to break the mold, and I had really accomplished something. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to buy myself something, and I had never driven a stick shift before, but I'd always oh, wanted okay. to learn. And I told yep. the guy at the dealership, if he told me how to drive the car, if he taught me right there, I'd buy it. And so he did, wow. and I did. And the bond I had with this car, it was a little BMW Z4 back when they were new. (laughs) And um, I had never had an experience like this where I felt like this machine and I were one entity. And it was was a spiritual experience to drive this Mm -hmm. car. I never Mm -hmm. looked at the controls. I just felt it. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, I, I was still thinking everybody had this experience. And I was chatting um, to a friend about it one day, and she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> you said, I have no three heads. idea yeah. what you're talking exactly. about. <laughs> yeah. no, I know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a 1977 Celica when I moved to uh, California from Boston, uh, and that was my spiritual uh, soulmate. You know, it was a five-speed. Wow. You know, I can still smell the interior. I know exactly what it looked like. In fact, I'm going to go find another one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recreate the, the cars okay. of my impetuous youth 
which would be a 1970 Dodge Carnet <laughs> and a 77 Celica. Carnet was my college car, which I painted shark's teeth on like the Flying Tigers, which made it look really fierce. Um, but this beautiful chocolate brown Celica with the louvers in the back, it was five-speed. And in San Francisco, all the roads are curvy, right? So you couldn't do all the hills, yeah. but the East Bay Hills had these wonderful winding curvy roads that I would just blast down just for fun. You know, so, uh, and I was one with it. I never looked at the tack. I, I, knew which, I knew when to change the gears. It was completely intuitive. And I never really thought about this. Well, I have, but, but in, not in terms of empathy, not in terms of, of relating to a machine. Um, in other words, it's, it's nuts and bolts until you hop in. So we use these machines as extensions of ourselves. And if you have an empathic nature, that you understand other things as they understand themselves. You know, this is why when people, they, they talk about flying a Spitfire, for example, you, you, don't, you don't hop into a Spitfire, you strap it on. You become a part of it. You mold with it. It's so tight in there that uh, the, 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 the stick and the rudder and the throttles you know, just become an extension of you. The wings are like an extension of you. And this is a whole, I think, uh, an interesting philosophy for us to kind of develop here a little bit. But um, it's true. And this is a way, I think, for folks like you and me who are, you know, like I say, you either become a product of your environment or you totally change it. And once you, I wrote something down here I think you might find interesting. I said, once you've been down to the dark cave where the psychopaths live, walked among them and had them try to kill you, kill you or who you are, and walked out of the cave never to return, there really isn't a whole lot to be afraid of anymore. Amen. Does that make sense? <laughs> isn't that the truth? A hundred percent. Yeah. And um, in so, my adulthood, as I've worked on transmuting <laughs> that trauma that had me afraid as a child, I've actually right. become very grateful for that experience. And Joe and I talk about this a lot. And we feel uh-huh. like without that trial by fire, that very immersive internship, if you will, yeah. we might have responded yeah. to the pandemic and you know other such things the way most people did. But like you said, when you've already been through it, there's really nothing left to be afraid of. And I think a serious lack of moral courage is what got us all into this in the first place. Yeah. Well, we're talking about COVID. I, I was one of the pioneers of this is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> you know, I, on every show I post the uh, – <laughs> no, I do. I, I post the CDC chart. Well, I'll tell you. Well, actually, we wrote – well, let me give you the quick synopsis, and then we'll get into uh, – we'll, we'll start back at, the, at our beginnings here. Um, but it was February 25th when uh, Dr. Peter Pry, one of my favorite – guest of all time and a very good friend of mine. Uh, he died of a COVID shot, I'm absolutely convinced, uh, a year ago, August. So it'd be, it'd be a year he's, uh-huh. he's been gone now. Um, but he got us uh, Bill Gertz from the Washington Times, the national policy, foreign policy correspondent of, the, of, the, of anywhere. He's like the best. So he comes on our show for half an hour, February 25th of 2020. He tells us all about the Wuhan lab. So we already knew about the Wuhan lab. So when these guys were talking about three years later, it's like, we reported that three years ago. Where have y'all been? So I took that. Two days later, I wrote a bill because this is, and I'll touch you more about this maybe off the air, but uh, we are the world's only radio show with a citizen legislature. We actually write bills many times directly on the air. We have a bill for vaccine product liability, uh, one that ends big tech censorship, and the big one uh, for the federal folks is a bill that uh, uh, eliminates the power of Congress to borrow money. We're talking some serious stuff wow. here. Oh, yeah, it's great. You're going to love this. A whole, whole new world's about to open up. Um, and I want to talk to both you and Joseph about, our, especially our vaccine bill, because if we can do it in Florida, we can do some amazing things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway, so February 25th, I wrote, we, we had Bill Gertz. February 27th, I wrote a bill for Congress saying they could only spend half their money on vaccines because I already knew Dr. Fascist was evil. I've been calling him Dr. Fascist for about three years now. You know who I'm talking about, right? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, all right? So we have new names. So his full name, I haven't given his full name for a while. His full name is the, oh, Jesus, I can't remember how to do this. Uh, what do I call it? Uh, psychopathic, no, I'll have to think of it because I had a, I like the whole string of adjectives for Anyways, we'll call him Dr. Fascist. So February 27th, I write a bill saying Congress can only spend half the money on, on, uh, on this vaccine nonsense. The other half has to be spent on early treatments. Well, it never went anywhere. Of course, Matt Gates is my congressman, right? You would think he would, you know, put it out there and, and do something with it. No, nah, never heard back, right? And so March 2nd, uh, so then I, then I started doing some search stuff. And I knew the vaccine stuff was wrong because you don't create a vaccine in nine months. You just don't. Even the 15-year ones no. have issues, right? So I'm thinking, and why would you create a vaccine for a virus that's already here? You want to kill the virus. You want to treat it. You want to cure it. So I hop on online. Right, and this is like February 28th, something like that. Um, and I, I put three words into my search engine. What kills viruses? And all of a sudden, all this stuff came up. Viruses can kill viruses. Drugs can kill viruses. Viruses and drugs can kill viruses. Drugs can highlight where viruses can attack other viruses. You know, viruses can highlight drugs. To, you know, I, I learned all this stuff in three hours. I said, this is ridiculous. We can cure this you know, anytime we want. We don't, need the, we don't need a vaccine a year from now. That's crazy. So I knew the treatment was there. I knew everything Fauci was saying was a fraud. And this is, this is March 2nd of 2020. So I broadcast it, right? Well, guess what happened to the numbers for the show within 24 hours? What? Well, it got totally tanked. It was gone. We went from thousands oh. of views on Facebook. They used to post the views when I post a show. We'd have like eight, ten thousand 10,000 views. And, and, and that was back when the show was terrible. It was like two hours. And, you know, I was working a full-time job. We still had like you know, 10,000 views. Um, per show. Uh, and it went to like five <laughs> the next day. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Guess what? They found me real fast. So, uh, so I was, you know, persona non grata uh, as far as that goes right away. Anyway, I said, it didn't stop me. You know, you know me, I'm like you, we don't care. We just keep going. Truth is more important than, <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than anything. Right. <laughs> so, so I started, yeah. So I broadcasted this, uh, um, this is a total fraud. The government, the, the, the virus is real, but everything around it, everything the government was doing was completely nonsense, you know? And so all the masks and all the closures, and I used to call him, you know, dictator DeSantis. And I, I wrote an open letter on how he cannot violate the constitution and the, did a big video right in the middle of the 15 days to slow the spread. And uh, now I post a, a graph on the, on every show. You'll see it on, on your show uh, that shows that uh, the CDC said COVID death rate went to about zero in July of 2020. Well, if it went to zero in 2020, in, in July, why, why did you bring out a so-called you know, vaccine, which is a gene shot, in November? It was already six months late. <laughs> the problem's gone. <laughs> you know, anyway, so that's my story. Well, I love that you were one of the early voices. And yeah. We had a similar experience becoming persona non grata. <laughs> oh, do tell, we please. Let's, let's share. <laughs> So Joe and I were living in L.A., and um, we had been there a few years. We'd moved there from New York and Boston, and at the time, I was mostly busy having babies, but was still working. I was working with Stanford at the time, and Joe was at UCLA. Uh And, you know, up until then, we had been well-liked, well-regarded, what have you. And so then when the pandemic started, it just you know, clearly nothing made sense, right? I feel like for any person with a remote connection to source or Earth or whatever you want to call it. It didn't right? make sense. Yeah, that's the thing. No, none of it. In fact, I remember uh, we had our boys and we were sitting outside uh-huh. on Santa Monica Boulevard at one of the last restaurants that had refused to shut down. And the lockdowns hadn't become... Um, not permanent. They hadn't become, it's not law. I'm going to say this wrong, but Mandatory, they hadn't taken yeah. over the city yet. 
Yes, thank right. you. <laughs> they were never way. they were never legal, but that's we'll talk about that later. Right. Time, but yeah, so tell right. me what happened. Yeah. So, we're, so we're sitting out on the street, and it is a ghost town. And this is a part of LA that has long been regarded as a cultural hub. It's you know, it's, it's I've heard the show across song, brimming with activity. John Santa what? Monica Boulevard. Yeah, I know the song. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I know exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she was spot on basically until COVID. And so uh, I think it was March because it was right before the official announcement of lockdowns in Los Angeles. And Uh Joe and the boys and I were outside. It was a gorgeous day. We were eating. And we were the only people on the street. And we're looking around and thinking, this isn't really going to happen, right? Like people aren't actually going to confine themselves to their they homes can't and try be to that hide stupid. from an airborne virus, are they? Yeah, right. like yeah. I'm still holding on to hope, right? That I haven't completely and entirely misjudged humanity. But lo and behold, the very next day, they shut down everything, yeah. and we kept waiting for people to protest. I mean, aside from us, to stand up and say, wait a minute, no, you, you can't do this. <laughs> this is not legal. Yeah. This is not moral. It's not ethical. It's not even smart. And um, well, it's unconstitutional. it didn't happen. That was my argument, is that yeah. the Constitution's always in force. Um, We're still talking about that. That's why I want Dershowitz on. I want to talk to him about this, too. But yeah. you guys are you're professional health people. Um, so let's get both your backgrounds. What's, uh, what's Joseph's medical before he became Surgeon General? What's your, what's your background in health? Because you obviously know more about this than the average person. Um, oh boy, I don't even know if that's true anymore, but <laughs> let's hope so. Um, yeah, Joe I think is so. classically trained. He has an MD and a PhD uh, from Harvard. So um, MD okay. from Harvard Med and then a PhD from the Kennedy School, but I think it's mm-hmm. now the Chan School of Government. And then um, <laughs> my route was different. I have a master's from Harvard, but have nothing right. to do with health. My health education oh, was okay. pursued separately, mostly after I became extremely ill and almost died at the hands of Western medicine and mm. realized that at least for me, that was not the answer. And that if I wanted to live, I was going to have to walk away from the system and take full responsibility for my own health and wellness. And then you want I started to talk about that getting a, bit? a naturopathic. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell me about that. It's a very, it's a long story, but the short version is... I'll have you back. Um, I have, <laughs> you can back on the um, show okay. if you want. I love talking to you. This is great. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So I have had very severe migraines all my life. Um, oops, sorry. Oh, you there? Oh, where'd she go? She'll probably call us right back, hopefully. Yeah, this happens. Um, yeah, okay, so it's in the middle of a great story, too. What am I going to do? I'll play a quick thing here in my book, and I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Yeah, I haven't played any of my commercials today. We've been so busy with uh, all the chats, but uh, I didn't know how long you'd be gone, so I figured I'd sneak one in. Welcome back. Everything okay? <laughs> Sorry. 
I guess That's right. oh yeah, I think the powers that be didn't want us talking about this. They shut that right oh, down. Well well let me um, welcome the, the members of the FBI KGB that are listening to our show <laughs> as they usually do. Um, feel free to call like everybody else does, two one five three eight three three eight three two. And if you plan on raiding my house, at least give me some notice so I can make coffee and we can sit down like civilized people. There we go. It's my daily uh, PSA <laughs> for the FBI KGB. <laughs> Back to you, Brianna. <laughs> This is not your average anyway. talk show, as you figured out, right? There's a, we don't, we, there's no, no filter. I know. I like it already. Yeah, yeah we do have fun. <laughs> so if you can't say it here, you probably can't so, say it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, I have had migraines my whole life, and, uh, and I'll uh-huh. jump back to that one uh, later when we talk more about the book that has a lot to do sure. with uh, the healing journey I went on. But okay. um, essentially, when we lived in... Boston and decided to have children, I had to go off the migraine medication that I had been on basically Ooh. lifelong. Right. Yes. And then um, things very quickly took a serious nosedive. Um, my health, um, it just became really scary. I actually did manage to get pregnant, but then I spent the next 18 months on and off in the hospital. And nobody could ever actually figure out what was wrong with me. I was in unbelievable pain basically 24 hours a day. I could not eat or drink. I was on um, an IV nearly the was whole time. Was this all migraine or, or pain all over? Was it, was it beyond migraine pain, which, well, is bad, which is crippling from what I understand? I've never had one. Oh, yes. Yes. So that's certainly how it was presenting. Um, now, on okay. the other side of it, now looking back, I would say it was serious unresolved trauma manifesting that way. Okay. But at the time, yeah, I was in so much pain. I, I literally begged the doctor to, to cut my head off and give me a new one. <laughs> I was out of my mind, but also quite serious about this at the time. Um, so well, much pain sense. that under under the pain you're under, you know, that's you know, it sounds crazy unless you're you're hurting that badly. In which case, you know, anything and you makes sense to get relief will work. Yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a dark time. Um, yep. Luckily, my, my baby was perfectly healthy, thank goodness, but I was a mess. Well, that's good. And even after he was born, you know, I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And all they would, and, and by they, I mean Western medicine, they had compiled a team of doctors, every kind of specialist you can imagine, you know, OB, pain specialist, neurologist, everything, psychiatrist, psychiatrist. Nobody could figure out where this pain was coming from. And all they ever did was prescribe more and more medication. They'd put me on a drug, and then I'd have side effects, so they'd put me on a drug to mitigate those side effects, but then those drugs would have side effects. And before I knew it, I was so dissociated and such a shadow of myself, like ghost in the shell, that I realized I barely cared what happened to my life. And that's not me. I've always, I'm very Oh, I understand that feeling. So much. I was depressed for a couple of years. I, I know exact. I describe it as walking neck deep in molasses. You just don't care. Yeah. You don't want to hurt yourself. You're you don't so want to do anything, numb. but you, you literally, it's like the ultimate apathy. You just don't care about anything. Nothing matters. Yeah. Yeah. And but you still have to walk through life and do that. things. Yeah. 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 And now I was doing this while having a new baby and my poor husband, amazing, wonderful man that he is, is having to take mm-hmm. care of me and our yeah. new baby and one day, I just had an epiphany. I was in so much pain. I was in the hospital. It was Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to give me more drugs. And finally, something inside me just said, you know what? This is going to kill you. You're going to die if you stay on this path. And I realized, right. I don't want to live like this. I don't know what the answer is, but I know 
for me. It is not Western medicine. And that day, I walked away from all of it. I stopped taking all the medications. I walked away mm-hmm. from my doctors. Mm-hmm. And I started to educate myself. So I went very deep into naturopathic medicine and herbalism and holistic medicine and a bit into shamanism and just everything I could get my hands on because I wanted to be responsible for my experience. And um, We're going to give you another round of applause for this. So uh, here we go. <laughs> nice job. Thank you. Yeah, for having Thank the courage you. to and do really what you good. believed in. That's the biggest thing. You have the courage to do what you uh, believe in. You believe in yourself, and you have the courage to act on it. 99% of the population can't do that, and we're going to see if we can help them at some point. I got some ideas, but yeah. But that's what it takes. Cause, well, that's exactly what my book is about, is looking inside and listening oh, to your what a great segue. or whatever you want to call <laughs> Tell me. it. Like, that truly yeah. is why I wrote the book, because um, boy, if I hadn't learned to listen to myself, I would be dead right now. No question. And um, it might have happened long before I got sick. Mm-hmm. Um. I can give a, should I give a little synopsis? Sure. Let's talk about the book. So um, I grew up in a family that was deeply religious and very much at war with each other. So my mom's Mm. side was very fundamentalist Protestant and my dad's side very fundamentalist Catholic to the point that both sides thought everyone on earth other than their congregations was going to hell. Right. And uh, that was, yeah. (laughs) And they thought so each other was going to go to hell, too? Your mother thought your father was going to hell, yeah, and your father thought your mother was did. going to hell? Mm, great. We did. And, uh, you know, from the moment I was born, I had relatives flipping me different versions of the Bible, and literally you quiet. my sister and I to take us to their church or their mm-hmm. Bible study and get us away from okay. the other side. And it was, it was really disheartening, to say the least. And I remember mm-hmm. even thinking as a very small child, I'm pretty sure you are all missing the truth here. I think all right. of you are crazy, but all right. And meanwhile, well, that's hard as a kid. I came in having these experiences of yeah. being surrounded by beings that I could always hear, but not speak. So huh. I, you know, I had angels that spoke to me, just like you and I are talking now. Right. Um, I had guides. And as a small child, I didn't know this was unusual, so I would share openly about this with my family. Um, I had premonitions, I had visions, the things that I saw would come true. And I would tell them this. And it didn't take them long to tell me that I was the work of the devil. Yep. And so they started having me believe that it was Satan speaking to me. All this was very dark and that I must have come from evil and all these other things. And um, <laughs> Didn't I see this on The Exorcist? Brianna, your line is just a little bit quiet. I didn't want to deal with their abuse, so I tried to make myself more acceptable. I tried to be okay. normal. I tried to make myself smaller, um, more, you know, more like my sister, because clearly whatever I was was really threatening their perceptions and their ways of right. being, and they were extremely cruel about it. So... The more I tried to bury myself, and I stopped listening to my intuition altogether, I stopped listening to my angels, I stopped listening to everything, I ended up getting myself into a world of hurt. Just as light attracts light, darkness attracts darkness. Mm-hmm. So I ended up for many years in a string of extremely abusive relationships. Some of them my family, some of them not. But um, I went through a very dark period of time. And... Right. Uh, came close to death several times. And um, ultimately, 
really this is after meeting my husband. It was meeting my husband that kind of shook me out of all that and made me realize mm-hmm. that I needed to listen to that voice inside. Um, I finally started to pursue health again. I started trying okay. to make sense of what had happened. And <coughs> Do you find it interesting that you met a doctor? Um, I did some different things. And he was hurting talk, too. Talk about so have, having... Together with help for both of us because we were both dealing with a very heavy trauma. And we tried all kinds of things, you know, self-help programs like Landmark and Avatar, traditional therapy, reading everything we could get our hands on. But unfortunately, none of it made that much of a difference. I feel like, um, at least for me, I, I got a little piece of something useful from everything that I studied. But at the end of the day, it was never enough to overcome the level of trauma that I was dealing with. And um, our marriage started to fall apart. And it was almost ironic because we, we both came from families that were abusive. Um, mine, I would call, pretty loveless. And I never thought I would find love like that. And so it was such a blessing for us to find each other. But then mm-hmm. even the love we had for each other was not enough to overcome what we've been through and all the baggage we brought with us into this relationship. Mm-hmm. So uh, three kids in, we were on the brink of divorce. And not because we didn't want to be together, because we just could not manage to deal with our trauma. It just kept coming up and breaking down everything we had. So finally, one day, I confided in a friend of mine that I was at the end of my rope. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to save our relationship. And he said, I think I know someone who's me. He said, he's kind of out there, so read his book first and see what you think. And of course, at this point, I'm willing to try anything because I'm desperate to save this relationship because I know in my gut we belong together and that all this baggage belongs to other people. We just had to figure out how to deal with it. And we certainly didn't want to be putting it on our children's feet. So, and finally, uh, I ordered this guy's book. And uh, when it arrived, I didn't even need to open it, but it took me a while to read it because I saw his picture on the cover. And I had this very powerful and deep soul resonance with this person. And I realized he was the one I had been looking for. I didn't know how he was going to help us, but I knew that he would. So I called him, and we had a conversation. His name was Christopher Maher. With him again? um, Your your line's getting a little quiet. I'm not sure why. I I knew I knew him. I couldn't figure out how, but I knew I knew him. So anyway, we'll fast forward. My wonderful husband went to see him first. Um, do I still have you? Sorry, I'm rambling. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Can you hear me now or no? Hello, hello? I have to call hello? in. Yeah, okay, I thought so. All right, I got to call in. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please hold and you will be able to listen to the show. Unmuted. Okay, okay, so can you hear me now? Yes, I'm so sorry. I was going on and on and I had no idea we didn't have a connection. No, I, I knew something was wrong when, because uh, I, I, I had a bunch of questions for you. Oh, i got to turn oh. off my computer. All right. So what happens is every once in a while, and this is one thing, one of the faults with blog talk, I've been trying to get them to fix this for a long time, that uh, when the, it'll, it'll just drop your signal. Every once in a while, just drop it. And so you don't oh. know 
um, because we don't have digital, we don't have DV meters. We don't have anything to tell us when it's dropped. So I have to take off my headset, take off my microphone, and basically put a bunch of books on and just call it on my cell phone. So now I'm on my cell phone. This is like the backup plan. <laughs> so it was a great story, um, but you didn't hear a couple things I was saying because your line sounded a little quiet, and now I know why, because I had been cut off from my own show. But your story was fabulous. So don't worry about it. As long as you can hear me and everything's fine, I've unplugged the mic. We should be able to continue. I can still push all the buttons, so I can still, you know, give you more rounds of applause and things like that. But I, I, I had some, there were some interesting things that you were talking about. Um, so first I want to get the name of the person again because that was not as clear. So who's the, who's, who's the, the healing genius here? Who's the person? Oh, his name is Christopher Maher. And um, he has a book called Free for Life. And that's the one I ordered and saw his picture on the cover and knew he was the one. Okay. Now, the reason I ask you is because yeah. a friend of mine, David Trombley, um, wrote a book, uh, Grounded and Cured. And he's one of these guys that uh, he didn't have the COVID shot, but he got bone cancer. And rather than go through oh. chemo and all the things like that, uh, he took a natural course, health, exercise, vitamins, supplements, you know, a great diet, and he cured himself of bone cancer. And so David Trombley is someone you might want to talk to because he's, he's kind of like in the club too. And so he's a regular on the show. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. We just want to be happy, want to be happy family of warriors. Yeah, that's how it works. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Isn't life wonderful so, now that this situation has forced us all to find each other and come together and expand our energy and our vision? Well, this is fascinating too. So I, I have a theory about this as well. That uh, the the the, uh, the worldwide conspiracy, the the people that want to control everything, which can never be done, by the way. I don't know what you know. You look throughout history, Genghis Khan couldn't do it. You know, Alexander the Great couldn't do it. You know, Napoleon couldn't do it. Hitler couldn't do it. It doesn't work, folks. <laughs> Stop trying to control the world. It ain't going to happen, all right? But uh, but they still they still think that they can try. But here's what's interesting: the the COVID shot in particular uh, is killing and injuring the compliant. It's it's the it's the mask wearers. It's the, uh, the, the rebels. We're the ones who didn't take it. So they're actually, in a, in a weird kind of way, you know, we rebels are doing a lot better. There's more of us now. And the compliant folks are sadly and tragically getting injured and killed by this COVID shot. So it definitely brought us together. But it's, it's oh, very yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, because we are rebels. Oh, in you're right. Now we're all rebels as one big happy family. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Life's a lot more fun now. It's much less lonely than it used to be. Well, now that's another thing too. See, that was part of the thing. We always thought we were separate. So when I was going through, you know, a couple of years of depression, as I as I call it, you know, walking uh, neck deep in molasses, uh, and well, you just don't care. You just don't care about anything. Nothing matters to you. Uh, I don't know if that made it my initial uh, chat or not. Um, I never wanted to do anything to hurt myself, but I knew I, I just didn't care, and I knew I was going to get through it. Um, I didn't medicate. I took uh, I think one of those so-called antidepressant pills, just one, not not a, not a whole bunch, one. And I felt so miserable. I thought, I'm never going to do this again. I felt like I was, like, seasick. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I said, this is what people take to cure this kind of stuff? No. So I just worked through it. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it hurt. It's the toughest thing I've ever done other than being married. Um, but um, actually, marriage was worse. It lasted longer. I'm not a big marriage fan. <laughs> I try to work. I can't recommend it. But, uh, it. but the struggle. But once you come out the other side, once you, like I say, once you've seen the psychopaths, you know how to recognize them. You beat them, you come out of the cave, and now you can do anything. We're like, you know, we're all knights in shining armor out here. You know, we're, we're all Don Quixote. You know, we can right the wrongs. We can, uh, look at me, I'm starting a citizen legislature on a radio show. Well, Greg, that's never been done yeah. before. 
Okay, yeah. And what, what's your point? <laughs> you know, then I'll do it. <laughs> someone's got to do it. Someone's got to start this process. Might as well be me. Yeah. Anyway, um, so how did so so your family? The, the weird part is, you know, here they are, supposedly loving parents, and they probably thought they were doing the right thing in calling you the Antichrist oh, yeah. or, or whatever it was they were doing. How did they resolve this? You know, I mean, is it probably another nerves? I mean, how did they, did, did they understand what they were doing? Did they have a clue or were you so, so totally distant at that point? Um, so see. I haven't talked to either of my parents in about 10 years. Uh, they want nothing to do with me, which is okay. Um, I feel very differently post-dealing with my trauma. You know, when I was young, I really resented it. I was very angry at them. And um, I thought, you know, how could they not see that what they were doing was so wrong? And hypocrisy right. deeply offended me. You know, they're so religious and preaching all of, <laughs> all of this dogma. And on the other side of their mouth, they were torturing me. Um, and I wasn't alone. It was essentially anyone who did not conform to their ideals. And it was very painful. But now, in retrospect, I can see, I really do think, uh, it wasn't just that they were doing the best they could. I think it's all they could do because, of course, they were really just at the mercy of their own trauma that was unresolved, okay. that had been projected on them by their parents and every generation before that. So what do we do with these millions of people out there that are still suffering, that will never try something different, that will never break out of their mold? They're so in the prison of their conditioning. You know, people say, do you think outside the box? I say, there is no box. They're like, what? <laughs> so there is no box. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't think outside something that doesn't exist. I just think. You know, wait, what are you talking about? Because if you think outside the box, there's still a box. You know? And so I, so I, you know, and you tell people that they're like, oh, well, you can use that. Feel free. Everything, everything, everything I say is fair game. I, I, I you know, but uh, yeah. But if you if you think like there is that there is no box, then you're ultimately free. So how do you know? I, I feel privileged too. I, I've told people this before that without two years of depression, there'd be no action radio. There wouldn't, because I'd still be conditioned. So why did even two years yeah. he broke through my condition? Not only for for me, but for but for for uh, the problems I had, but for everything, my entire life's conditioning went through step-by-step, step, analyzed everything from day one, worked it all through, and now I don't have to do that again. Now I've got to the rest of my life, you know, to play, have fun, fly jets, and save the world and create freedom and do all the things I'm doing now. It's great. Talk to people like you. Love it. <laughs> That's well, so wonderful. But it's such a free – it's such a – thank you. It's such a freeing feeling, though. I mean, don't you feel free now? Absolutely. In fact, that is the very word that I would use. And um, okay. I want – I want everyone else to have this, to have this incredible freedom. Because when you're in freedom, there is no fear. There's nothing to be afraid of because you realize you are the co-creator of your experience. So there's, there's nothing to be afraid of, quite literally. And um, I have this conversation with Joe and with Christopher, actually, all the time about how do we bring this to other people. And I feel like energetically right now in the world, we are rapidly approaching a point if, in fact, we're not there already, I, I don't know the answer to that, where everyone is going to have to make a very conscious choice. And you are either going to have to be willing to do whatever work it takes to deal with your emotional baggage and everything else, all the trauma that you're carrying around and poisoning the well with, or you can continue refusing um, to deal with it and pretending that it doesn't exist and 
willingly acquiescing to be programmed and controlled. And I think you will, uh, forgive me for saying this, but one way or another, you will no longer be supported on Earth. <laughs> I think no longer be what on Earth? I don't think you'll be able to remain here. I think uh, the energies that are in operation oh. right now are going to force the issue. So okay. those who have done the work and are willing to move forward authentically and powerfully will survive and others will not. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. That might sound like a radical thing we're moving to another planet and starting again somewhere. That's what when you said we're leaving the Earth. But yeah, yeah, I, that's a good so question. Perhaps. Uh, I, I don't know, yeah, but, but the, I don't think they'll be here. Well, well, look at the, exactly. But look at the world the way it exists. We've got the the you know from the World Economic Forum, the Gates folks, the the UN, you know our own deep state. All, it's all control. They want us with no property and eating bugs. You know it's uh, and and they think this is okay. You know they were there. I've heard everything from knocking down the population to. But it all comes down to control. If you want to control other people, you're a sick person. You, you can't have authority. You know, and the people that don't want to control other people are the ones who aren't running for office anyway, because we don't want the responsibility. It's not up to us to control other people. We want people to be happy and do their own thing. You know, and so it's this weird situation that the people that are the, the, the worst possible people to be in charge are the people that are most obsessed with being in charge. That's a problem. I don't know how to resolve that. So we have to control the controllers. And that's what the Constitution is supposed to do, and that's what some of the other things are supposed to do. But something you mentioned earlier was really interesting. When you talk about how everybody cleared the streets, fear, the one element that we haven't talked about, because you and I don't have fear, right? I'm not afraid of death. I mean, I've got God. Life's great. I'm going to do as much as I can here. But I feel almost a separation from my own body now that my soul's already got a place to go. It's okay. You know, I might take a chance. I have that experience as well. <laughs> Tell me. Yes, I've had Tell that me. same experience. Well, um, especially in the last, it's been going on for about 10 years, but very, very much in the last three to four years, I increasingly feel that I am on the earth, but not of the earth. So I, I mean, I'm certainly here. I am present. I am doing powerful, energetic work, but my yep. soul, I very much feel is off doing other things. And it's to the point where um, sometimes I even question my sanity because I no, quite no, literally forget uh, what I'm, year I'm there with you. Yeah, no, I'm right there with yeah. you. So don't don't forget the sanity. Just just enjoy the ride. It's almost like you know, it's it's, it's almost like God reaching like, down and saying, you know what? Yeah, it's like God giving you a preview. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna show you a little bit of what, of what yeah. you know of, of what but where your spirit's going. So just just don't worry, everything's fine. But a preview. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm truly truly not. Mostly, I say that in jest, but it's it's gotten so extreme. I feel like COVID kind of started it, at least started me really noticing it, because prior to COVID, we had all these daily markers, right, by which we measure our day, our productivity. You know, the alarm goes off, we spend this much time getting ready, we drop the kids off at school this time, you know, it's work, and so on and so on. And when all of that disappeared, we were left with this massive void, like this this space. And you could choose to either slink into misery, self-pity, fear, what have you, or you could say, wow, you know, I, I, I actually control this time and my experience. And for, for Joe and I, it really helped us realize how little time we were spending together and with our kids, even though we were making every effort to do so, how much time right. we were wasting doing things that ultimately do not make a difference in the world. Um, you know, like, is the world a better place an hour looking just so for work? 
<laughs> my time would be much better spent in meditation with my children, you know, with coaching a child, with a client. And so it really took COVID to shake us loose from those bonds. Right. Yeah, but it's, right. Such, it's such conditioning. So, you know, uh, uh, excuse me for so saying helpful. so, but someone as naturally gorgeous as you doesn't need to spend a lot of time with makeup. You just don't. Oh, well, thank you. You've made my day. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, just get out there in the world and do stuff. You know, you know, take that hour that you would have spent with makeup and just go help people. Just talk to people. You don't need to, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> but uh, So much of that was a voice in my head saying, you know, and even after I'd done some work, it was saying you have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. You have to conform to a certain ideal. And so COVID mm-hmm. was so wonderful for me personally because I shook free of all of that and then was quite unwilling to resume any of it when people tried to you know, put me back into that into that place. I was totally unwilling to go. But and they have it, it's just been so helpful. Yeah. But they had yeah. mass psychosis. Uh, I heard about it from Malone and McCullough. Not, they were on the show, but I originally picked up from a Joe Rogan podcast. I started looking into and there's a great website, a uh, YouTube channel called Academy of Ideas. And they talk about uh, the mass psychosis. I've even got the, the, the many conditions that we don't, I don't want to go into right now. But this fear that people, you know, there were two kinds of people, those that, that weren't afraid and that's, that didn't wear a mask. Because, I mean, I had COVID back before I knew what COVID was, first week in January 2020. So as soon as they, they talked about the symptoms, it's like, oh, I just had that. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, well, I don't even have to. You know, I'm not going to lock down. When, when Governor DeSantis talked about his stay-at-home program, he said, well, we're now instituting the stay-at-home program, safer at home. I said, screw you, DeSantis. And I went down, I rolled down my windows, hopped in my car, drove, the, you know, and, and put up the country music as loud as I could and sang music out the window. But screw you. That was my reaction. <laughs> for you. That was my reaction. I drove from DeCrestfield yeah. and back. Crestfield and back. I said, this is my reaction to your stay-at-home program. I'm driving, singing country music, out the window so that they're down. No. You know, I'm just a rebel. <laughs> much more fun. But You're not fear. <laughs> well, let me, let me play something. So here, here's, here's, here's my reaction to COVID. Uh, I made a great video, uh, which I'll, I'll send you. But I, I started making all these sarcastic uh, satire pieces because everything was closed. I had all this extra time on my hands, right? And so the, my favorite one is the new normal church and grocery store, which I, I shall now play for you uh, at this time. All right. Hello, America. Looks like millions of you are in states where the governor dictator has said that food is essential, but God is not. Fortunately, we have a solution for you. We've combined your essential food shopping with a non-essential religious experience. Being in the same building and being completely intertwined, you can't do one without the other. Welcome to the New Normal Church and Grocery Store. Yes, the New Normal Church and Grocery Store is the first business of its kind to bring God conveniently into your food shopping aisle. Think of this as food for your body and food for your soul. No social distance or group size restrictions here. Upon entering the New Normal Church and Grocery Store, you will pick up your shopping cart. You can then choose from an optional mask with a Star of David, a cross, a crescent moon, a sun for you Shintos, a statue of Buddha, and for you agnostics, a question mark. Headsets are available to place sermons throughout your shopping experience. Some of the favorites include, I'm going to heaven and you're not, die infidel die, oi, what not to say during the bris, and that butterfly may be your grandfather. To orient you to the store, the kosher Jewish deli is by the Western Wall. A simple shalom gets you service, but be prepared to haggle. For you Muslims, out of courtesy, we put the halal butcher by the Eastern Wall. Sharia store policies require the wearing of both a burqa and a mask, just to be safe. Protestants will find the Wonder Bread, hot dogs, and steak in the central aisles, where all the best-dressed customers can also be found. 
When you notice the smell of incense, you are nearing the Buddhist section, which is all vegetarian. For Catholics, communion is available in the bakery department by the wafers near the red wine section. Agnostics should go directly to customer service because you folks have no idea what you want anyway. Be sure to offer your confessional to the checker on the way out if you so choose. Please don't forget to first pull down the blind on the plexiglass screen. And if you require ministering, you can talk to your bagger as they push your groceries to your car because all our baggers are cross-trained in theology. The new normal church and grocery store, your combination alternatives to the separation of church by the state. So that's what I did during the lockdown. Oh, we got to say the round of applause for you. That was amazing. Oh, I, I can do that. Hang on, let, me, let, me, let me scroll yeah. back up here. Well deserved. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Here we go. <laughs> Unaccustomed oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. but, no, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It perfectly highlights the absurdity that we were living through. Um, yep. This one day, I was taking a walk on the beach with a friend of mine, and it was right in the thick of lockdown. So there was not another soul on that beach as far as I could see. So we're walking, wow. and of course, we're outside and maskless because, of course. And um, I hear footsteps coming up behind us, and I turn around, and God bless her, this little old lady wearing two masks ran right up to me, got in my face within an inch of me, and yelled at me for not wearing a mask. And I think my <laughs> heart broke and I burst out laughing. And all I could think to do was hug her. I tried to give her a hug, and then she had a meltdown and ran away. <laughs> I just thought, this is the most absurd thing that has ever happened. Oh, my goodness. The Karen Patrol. And she's old. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and now you think shows. the older yeah, folks. Several hundred MCR. Oh my God! You think older I'm folks sorry, have a little ahead. more sense, especially if they've been through wars. You know, I don't know how many folks are still around from the Depression and uh, and World War II, but there's probably a few. You know, uh, but uh, you know, people who lived through horrible, tragic times and all this kind of crazy stuff with the '60s or anything else, and now they're telling you you have to wear a mask. You know, if you go to my Facebook page, I, I found the picture that has the directions, which says it does not prevent the spread of viruses. It's right there in the box. It was on the box for years, and yet people never read the directions. I say enough people don't read. <laughs> it says right there in yeah, the box, no, will not stop the transmission of viruses. COVID, folks, just in case anybody doesn't know, is a virus. Okay? You know, uh, they, they, uh, the, the expression was, it's like a mosquito flying through a chain link fence. I was more graphic. I said it's like a mosquito flying through an open garage door. Okay, folks, viruses are really small, <laughs> really small. You know, cotton fibers, paper fibers, they're a lot bigger, you know, than your basic virus. Yes. I can't and remember so who it was, the, but a doctor did this great viral video where he was smoking. He took a drag on a cigarette, put a mask on, and then exhaled. And, of course, the smoke comes billowing through the mask. And people were so angry at him. <laughs> it was great. It was like, I remember who it was. Well, that's funny, but the other one was the uh, the, the, the study in uh, Town Hall Magazine, which reported all these parents that uh, had their kids, you know, they took the masks the kids were wearing for eight hours, and they had them cultured in a lab, and they had oh, pneumonia bacteria and all this other bacteria and germs, <laughs> and it was just like growing thick with all this stuff on it, and the masks were actually dangerous, you know, and uh, oh, yeah. I don't know how much you want to talk about about health policy, but uh, I, I want to get um, Dr. Ladapal on at some point if we can, because there's so much I want to talk to him about. But just, you know, just your observations, you know, as, as a healer and an intuitive person, 
why were people so scared? What, you know, did they think that uh, they, they were doing fine for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of flu every year that was different? And all of a sudden, this was something unusual and they had two masks for it? What happened? No, I have spent the past few years trying to figure this out. So the people in my circle, okay. as, uh, as a naturopath, were already a lot call them more hips to the game. <laughs> so they right. were a lot less yeah. likely to react that way and be afraid. But as far as Joe's colleagues, and a lot of these were friends of both of ours, people we had known for years, you know, academic, um, people, people who are supposed to be thought leaders. And um, the vast majority of these people dropped us immediately when we, well, first we refused to comply, and then also, um, we weren't seeing a lot of each other when the lockdown started because I was trying to homeschool our kids and work from home and he was in the hospital taking care of patients. So every Tuesday, we started having a, um, a brief daytime date just to stay in touch. And we'd go get our takeout because nothing was open. And we'd go sit on right. the beach and just talk, you know, conversations about what we were both seeing in our respective professions and what was happening. And he would tell me unbelievable stories of um, people who are literally trained in how to handle things like this, just losing it. Right. Residents who refuse to go into anybody's room and treat someone who's actively bleeding to death that has nothing to do with the virus. Um, just the level of fear. And um, back at home, I was dealing with um, other families from my kids' schools before we'd pulled them out, people that we had been friends with and spent a lot of time with who suddenly refused to see or speak to us because we had dare suggest that perhaps there was an approach other than losing your mind. <laughs> so yeah, um, things were getting really bad really quickly. And we were trying to figure this out too. Like what are people actually afraid of? And I hate to say That's that. Great question. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and of course it's multifaceted and it's a difficult response, but in our little, on our little hill of the world at that time, most of the people we knew were very highly educated because, you know, we've been friends for 20 years. We've either gone to school together or ended up on a similar career path. And this is mostly who we hung out with. And okay. by and large, 99% of these people were terrified of COVID, immediately did what they were told, and um, adopted this policy that we were destructive, evil people for not just falling over, you know, for not taking this at face value. And that was shocking to me because these are the same people who are, well, who I thought were taught about viruses, taught to do research, taught about health policy. Like these are the people we rely on to create the policies that keep the rest of us safe. Not anymore. <laughs> Where, not anymore. And then, you know, in yeah. my world, uh, over on the, the other side of it, I have, you know, hippies and naturopaths and people who are into crystals. And by the way, all these things described me as well <laughs> to many people oh, yeah. I'm considered I, I have wellness there. people I've had wellness people for years on the show you're among friends <laughs> you know, you, uh, this is like yeah, wellness central like, you know so, I mean, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> so for the people in in that space in that part of my life every single one of them had serious questions like we did and it got to the point where I could basically anticipate that if you were very highly educated, went to grad school in any of the sciences, you were probably going to end up on the opposite end of the spectrum as us. And it forced me to look at indoctrination in schools and where it was starting. And so at that very same time, I have three little kids at home. Um, 
our Max was just a tiny baby at the time, and my other little guys were in preschool and first grade. And it had never for a second occurred to me that I should be questioning what they were being taught at that age. Because, you know, it's, so I thought it's like Play-Doh, right? Play-Doh, playgrounds, learning not to yeah. push people down. And um, it, it never came the, the learning at home. <laughs> the, then it came the Zoom oh, calls at home. Yeah. Oh, well, we, so we, well, actually, this is how that happened. So when they started, you know, at first it was two weeks, but then the lockdown for two weeks. And even that sent right. Joe and I into a panic because we had our life worked out just so. We thought, okay, yeah, the two weeks, we can do this. <laughs> They're messing with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this, of course, evolved into two months and ultimately two years. And the solution right. um, was to put kids online, which is ironic because, of course, the year before, the um, American Pediatric Academy had said children under a certain age should have zero screen time. You know, and up to, I can't remember what it was, maybe 12 or so, it should be very, very limited. Right. And so there was no way... Isn't it way funny how things change in front of computers. to accommodate so the new policies? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's amazing how mm-hmm. bad they change. Yeah. <laughs> so since I was not about to do that, uh, and right. we decided to homeschool, and I didn't have any experience in that, so the first thing we did was contact the schools to get the curriculum, hoping to just kind of pick up where they left off and do the best we could at home. Well, lo and behold, even at the age my kids are, uh, not so much my preschool baby, but my, my first grader, there were some very questionable ideas in these textbooks. And mostly it was just slipping in inferences and phrasing things in a way that, you know, it would either try to normalize an idea I didn't necessarily agree with or muddy the lines, if you will. Like, for example, they would slip the yeah. word. Exactly. Well, and that's really when it hit me that it wasn't just college and grad school. You know, the Ivy League, that was the problem, that it actually was starting in kindergarten, and we just didn't know. So um, for me, um, I do think education, or, or I should say classical education in this country, public education is a big part of the problem. And I have to admit, my I would abolish it. I really didn't. I, I, I wanted to abolish it. I'll tell you what I have. We're, we're, we're at the top of the hour, but we get overtime here, so we can we can oh, talk wow. for for a while. If you got the time, I got another okay. up to an hour actually, uh, which is fine with me. I'm just, oh, okay. I'm weekend, so I don't care. Yeah. But here's what here's what I was saying when when the schools first closed, I said this is a golden opportunity. I said the schools are closed. The teachers are on beaches in Argentina. You know, they're taking their money, taking all the tax money. They're out of here. They're out, they're out, they're hanging out. They're in you know Montego Bay, Jamaica, right? I said now that the teachers are gone, the administrators are gone, the school boards are gone. I said close all the government schools. Close them. Sell them. Get rid of them. Fire all the teachers. Start again with a completely privatized system. Sell all the school buildings to private entrepreneurs. And this is like March, April of 2020. I said they're gone. We've got the whole summer to do this. So in the fall, we'll have a completely privatized education system. And people were like, oh, that's a stupid idea. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, we needed public education. You know, I went to public school and I turned it out okay, to which I say, how do you know? But that's another story. <laughs> anyway, I, I, you know, I advocated closing all the government schools, starting fresh. Everybody said it was nuts. Then, of course, they opened up again, went back to all the problems that they had before. And they're like, oh, gee, yeah, you're right, Greg. Maybe we should have tried it. I said, I told you. I said, this was the window. Yeah, the window's like closed it. now. You can't do it. You know, so you got to – there's times when you have to move fast, and that was one of those times to move fast. And the county wouldn't do it, and the state wouldn't do it, and obviously the country didn't do it. But uh, California would never do it. 
But uh, there are places that might have. South Dakota, Christy No, my favorite governor, uh, never locked down mm. anything. Um, and oh, would have, you know, that would have been a great time that uh, if they're mandated, if, I don't know if the school's closed or not, but that would have been the time to close them all down while the teachers are gone, everybody's gone, just sell the buildings and start fresh with the private system. Could have done it. That's how I think. Incredible. No I like it. Well, I do think that there we are no approaching. No, no, there is no box. And I do think we are approaching a reality where we are going to have to burn down every system we have and recreate mm-hmm. it yep. in a divine way now, to have a world that works that. for everyone. Oh, are you on the right show? Because <laughs> you know that's the whole purpose of that, story. No, seriously, that's the whole purpose of Action Radio yeah. is that oh, we, the people, give. Yeah, it is. That's why you're here. Well, I think partially well, you're here for a lot of reasons. Um, one, we're like, you know, soul teammates. You know, right? we're on the same team yeah. here, um, which is really yeah. interesting. But to Action Radio, I created Action Radio starting in 2014. I literally had one of those, you know, God experiences. I'm bike riding on, on San Francisco Bay. I'm over on the Oakland side and I'm having a great time. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm this little dialogue in my head like I usually do, kind of like Socrates without Socrates. And I'm saying, you know, I want to be the world's greatest talk show host. I want to do something no one's ever done. I said, uh, talk radio is great. I said, but uh, all they do is talk. They never take any action. I said, what we really need is action radio. I went, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> Stop my it. bicycle. <laughs> yes. And then, then so the next few years, trying to visualize exactly what action radio was. Now here we are. We have a citizen legislature. We have bill writers across the country. We have the most amazing legislation. Um, I have a bill to disarm the entire federal bureaucracy. We have bills that would overturn Plyler v. Doe. We have bills that uh, would get rid of judicial review. We have bills to handle electromagnetic pulse. We have a bill we're writing, one of my folks is writing, uh, to put a massive uh, tax on electric cars. You know, we cover so many different areas. Mine are the big ones, vaccine liability, getting rid of big tech censorship, all these different kinds of things that we do. Uh, and this, this is the answer that you're looking for. I mean, it really is. And people are like, oh, gee, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Well, I ain't bragging if you can do it. Thank you, Yogi Berra. You know, but, <laughs> But this is a place where you can literally write laws, and then we send them to Congress and state legislators. And uh, in fact, I wrote a couple I'll send you uh, that I wrote for the special session in, in Florida a couple, like a year and a half ago, uh, a real parental bill of rights and a real bill to handle quarantines. You know, this is what we do here. We have an election integrity bill that's perfect. Now, what's, now I, got a, I got a question for you. Because Mike Lindell and all these other folks, Reawaken America and all these different things, they have all these events where they sit there and complain. I call it raising complaining to an art form. I've never been invited. (laughs) We've We've got the bills that would solve their problems. Are people more interested in complaining as job security than actually fixing the problems? What do you think? Um, Outside of our tribe, yes. Um, I, I do think so. Uh, now, there, that, that said, there are so many amazing people who are really out there hustling and trying to make a difference. But it's a smaller right. group of people than I had hoped. And um, so just this morning, I was chatting with my boxing coach who still lives in L.A., so he gives me updates uh-huh. about how things are going out there. And he was telling right. me that he was just in Trader Joe's and was getting hassled for not wearing a mask. And this is yesterday. What, again? <laughs> so, still? Yes. Can you believe that? And um, I would, ended I up. Carry a I need to make a T-shirt. Masks don't work, and just wear that on public. <laughs> I think with the people who are still engaging in this, you could smack them in the face with a sandwich board full of data, and they would still call you crazy because I think they're yeah. getting something out of it. It's almost like what are they all getting? of this is getting them purpose. 
I think it's giving their life purpose. I think that it's giving them the hit of significance and power that they've never had in their whole lives. And so they've become so invested in this, uh, especially when the media started preying on people's morality, that, you know, you're killing grandma if you're not wearing a mask. If you're not vaccinated, you're responsible for the deaths of X, Y, and Z number of people. And I think that really hit a nerve with people who did not feel powerful or accomplished or like they matter in their own lives. And so I think in a way they are getting off on this and are in no hurry to relinquish that control. Because if you, if you accept that you are responsible for your own experience, then you actually have to get up and do something, right? And that's really scary for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah it goes to, it's almost like the people that didn't get elected to Congress, didn't get the job as a cop, didn't, they're, they're all like the wannabes. They're the worst of the wannabes that were disqualified for some reason from a position of, of authority. This is their new authority. They get to yell and scream and complain. Yeah. I watched videos in New York and people were screaming and throwing things. You have to have a story. You're going to kill us all. And facts don't matter. The fact that uh, we had the flu bug you know, that kills you know, a lot more people than COVID ever did. Uh, that, uh, and that comes around every year. The fact that all these different things happen, but there's a, there's a, there's some kind of weird psychology that, that medicine can, I guess, you know, prevent you from ever getting sick or dying. And that this vaccine is looked upon, first of all, as not, I shouldn't say vaccine, this gene shot, this COVID shot is looked upon as some kind of, I don't know, it's, it's almost taken on a religious significance. It's, it's like a, like a baptism. It's like, you're one of us now. You've been baptized. Yeah. You got the COVID shot. You're one of us. You're not one of them. Mm-hmm. Even though we know asymptomatic transfer doesn't work. You know, you got to have a symptom. You got to be coughing and hacking something or nothing's going to transfer, folks. You know, (laughs) the brains went out the window. Yeah, the brains went out the window. Now, you're, you know, you don't have a a health degree, but you got a master's. You had to think. You had to write a thesis. You actually relate things. Did you ever take a course in logic? Was that ever presented in school? (laughs) No, No, um, it was offered, but um, frankly, I I do not ever want to sound obnoxious, but um, I thought it's a shame that that needs to be offered. One of my favorite books as a child was Common Sense. But I thought it was hysterical that it was even necessary to bring that into being. Like, at what point did Common Sense and Logic disappear so that you had to start teaching it? Like, why do you have to teach critical thinking as a skill? That pains me. And it's funny you mentioned um, math being almost a religious experience because, and I should preface this by saying, I would never insult someone's religion, way of believing, you know, we're all on our own journey. We all have our own path and our own ideas that speak to us. But organized religion has done a great job in steering or instilling the fear of death in people. And without a healthy fear of their own mortality, none of this would have worked. So people weren't living in fear of death, but they didn't realize that you're an eternal spirit having a temporary physical experience. They wouldn't have been so terrified. You wouldn't have been able to control them with threats of you know, death and masking and all this nonsense. Yeah, it's so wild because we all know logically we're going to die someday. You know, there are those mm-hmm. who believe nothing happens. There are those who believe you go to heaven. There are those who believe all kinds of things. But we all accept the reality because we've seen it intrinsically through the entire history of humankind that people die. Given that, yeah. given that you only have so much time, you want to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but you can't stop that, but you can stay healthy for a whole long time. You know, and, and yeah. part of the way that you stay healthy is using your brain. What makes sense? 
you know, fads. Remember mm-hmm. when Oprah used to be the big fad and now we're gluten-free? Yeah. What, what is Oprah? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So people, they, they lose their brain. They lose their lives. So logically, they know they're going to die, but somehow they think emotionally they can cheat it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. So emotions are stronger than logic. Yeah. Well, as I say on the show here, assumptions oh, yeah. are stronger than truth. People will go to their grave with their assumptions rather than accept the truth, even as presented right That's to true. them. That's true. That's yeah. scary for, for many, for many, many people. So where? Um, that was another thing. Oh, what? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the other thing that struck me during the pandemic was that for as much propaganda as was being pushed on us, right, stop my alarm here. I'm going to have to go get my kids in about five minutes. Well, that's um, fine. Hey, let's for as much propaganda as being this. pushed on us. We'll talk again. Oh, this has <laughs> been fun. Yeah, definitely. I can't believe how fast it flew by. But you oh, didn't yeah. have anybody out there talking about a group, these real basic ways we know to stay healthy. Like, no one was talking about decent nutrition. They were getting out. They were saying, run and hide in your house, not get out and get some sunshine and some exercise and hydrate. You know, have strong social connections. But everything they were saying to do flies right in the face of everything that we know makes us healthy. And nobody was questioning I think it. the reason. I have a theory. I think you're going to find this interesting. Everything that was okay. done was done to preserve COVID, not to save lives. The worst thing you can do is go home because everybody has the same genetics, basically. That's how the disease spreads, right? That's why you get sick from your Mm -hmm. kids. The worst thing you can do is not exercise because now your immune system's down. The worst thing you can do is stress because your immune system's down. Everything they did from lockdowns to social distance to masks to everything else was designed to create stress, to lower the immune system so that when they finally got their gene shot ready, people would accept it because they were all yeah. getting sick. Not because of COVID, but because the government had, offic- had, had uh, reduced everybody's immune system, except those of us who realized we were already immune. I didn't care. I was fine. I've never been so healthy as I, since I had COVID, by the way. It's kind of interesting. But do you think that, they, that the, all these government <laughs> policies, we're just, we're just, I'll talk about that another time. But do you think the government policies, as I think, were designed to preserve COVID, not to stop it? 100%. I think they would say okay. or do anything to preserve that narrative because they had to sell that vaccine. And, um, and this Not the narrative, but COVID itself. The well, that, yeah, that's too. I think lower COVID the immune system. was really, okay. yeah. okay. I think the only purpose, the purpose of COVID was really to get the vaccine into people. Um, Which we'll first. have to have a, a longer conversation at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, so one more question, and no, I got the, your book information. Which came first, the vaccine or the virus? Which was made first? That's a good question, and I really can't answer that. And I, <laughs> I suspect that since they were working on coronavirus vaccines in general all throughout the 80s, that this is probably, at least in someone's thought process, years before whatever it is they're calling COVID appeared on the scene. But um, honestly, these days, I question absolutely everything. So (laughs) unless I hear it straight from God or I see some pretty compelling data, I think it could go either way. No, I agree. I I think the vaccine was created first. And then they engineered the virus around it. Okay, you got to go in three minutes or two minutes. Tell me about the Tell me about the book, where to get it, and anything else you want. You've got as much time as you have left. I'll just sit here and listen because it's been fun. And thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This has flown by. Um, My book is called Emerging from Darkness, 
And uh, it's available at most of the major sellers. It's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, uh, Target even, uh, all those kinds of places. And um, I do have a website. It's just my full name, www.briannalatipo.com, if anyone wants to know about um, upcoming signings or events or anything like that. But it really has been my pleasure to be on today. Thank you so much for having me, for uh, letting me ramble on. I'd love to come back because you are so much fun to talk to. Well, thank you very much. Well, let me send you some bills. Let's start acting. Let's start uh, doing stuff. I have some people uh, I think you might want to meet, like uh, David Trombley, who cured himself, uh, Laura Bartlett, who does, uh, who has documents for people going to the hospital, you know, and you already know Judy Mikevitz. You know, she's, uh, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I forgot to mention, Christiane Northup, who's been on the show a few times, wrote the foreword to your book. She's pretty amazing. She did, and she, I am such an admirer of her. She is one of my heroes and actually has been since I was a little girl. Her book, um, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, was one of the first I ever read that mirrored the experience I was having. So I've loved her for 30 years, and it's been um, just such an incredible blessing to, to get to know her and have her write my foreword. I'm deeply honored. Yeah, this is great. Oh, my next project, by the way, I'm trying to get Trump and uh, Robert Kennedy uh, to do a, a town hall meeting together. That's my next project. So, uh, oh, that would be amazing. Would that be amazing? Yeah, exactly. Brianna Latifel, thank you so much for being on the show. You should probably go. Otherwise, we'll just talk for another hour. And uh, come on back anytime <laughs> you want. You don't need, you, you don't need an invitation. Thank here's you. something here's on the show. Just, just, I got your number. Just dial it. You'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> you got it. Well, thank you so All much. Right. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you very much, too. You take care. Mm -hmm. And now you I'm going to play all the stuff I should have played. <laughs> Goodbye now. I'll play all the stuff I should have played in the first couple of hours. <laughs> Here we go. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H, care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. 
Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.